I thought you were dead. Sun out of your eyes and be yourselves. Heard you were dead. She's dead, wrapped in plastic. That man's dead back then. It was worse than dead. Must be dead. Is this a dead man, Duck? Well, we had the warm-up. We spoke to each other. Yeah. Vocal cords are feeling loose. Yeah. La, 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 la. You sound good. Hey, Travis, let's start this show by talking about a show you were just on. Firstly, welcome to Roast Mortem. But secondly, Travis, get into it. I was on the Drink a Beer, Play a Game podcast. So much fun. Uh, hanging out with Jim Brian, we were talking about us screaming about Battlefield because I, well, not screaming. I'm very well composed. Trust me, you guys. You don't need to watch me. You know, you guys don't need to monitor me when I'm on other shows. I don't. I scream. I was a gentleman. Uh, is there a video <laughs> format of that podcast you were just on? There is. Yeah. Oh. I, I I haven't watched the video yet, but I'm sure that I've. Probably come close to picking my nose because I just kind of do that. Do a little sometimes. scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Or can something I, I just gone right in there, you know, like right up there. Can I ask what beer you drank? Or is that I something dra- to secret for the show? <sighs> yeah, I don't know if I should spoil. Well, technically, this will be last week's episode of Drink a Beer, Play a Game. That uh, if you go back to the previous week and I'll be on there. I I was drinking, I decided to get some of the like Portland local brewery things. And I was, one of them was a German uh, pills, perfectly fine. The other one I picked up because I saw wheat beer. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, this would be like Hoogarden, nice. And I like didn't turn the can around. And it had pink guava and banana shit in it. <laughs> nice. I'm a fruit guy. <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was a wheat-free beer. Like you got the omission like gluten-free. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I paid $13 for six ounces of piss. Wow. Mm. Well, I, I started listening to it. And uh, those guys sound nice, and you sound like you had a fun time. But I, I just want to be—I—I I could never be on that show. Well, you don't play games. I do, well, not like only you don't fuck around. You exactly. don't fuck around. You don't play games. Exactly. I couldn't. You know what I'm saying? I would. Like, maybe, I know you play. I know you play video games from time to time, but you're not playing games. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. So those guys sound nice. Uh, so I would hate to sully their just not for you show. With, with a charlatan like myself, someone who has nothing nice to say about video games at all. Um, <laughs> Connor, how was your week? Well, it's only been a few days since we recorded, but... Thank you. Thank you for I ruining that illusion. I did have a very monumental thing happen in those two days. Woo! I ate Popeyes for the first time. Wow! Whoa! I know. I'm upset Mike isn't here to join in this moment. He would have a lot of questions and comments, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. He, he's really the fast food connoisseur of the show, and, you know... I know. This is really his domain, his wheelhouse. Yeah, I thought the Roman Catholic churches on the South Shore uh, gave that out every Sunday. And you were there for quite some time. You lived in Babylon for a bit. Right. But not you're not Catholic. a Roman Catholic. Yeah. So the time in my life when I was going to Roman Catholic church, so like up till the second grade, I guess, mm-hmm. North Shore. So, right. No, no. Uh, Low carb wafers. Y- yeah. Right. You were exactly. getting the wafers, not the, the popcorn. Not the Popeyes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. I got a chicken sandwich. Okay. Delicious, really, really good. Had some of Lizzie's chicken nuggets. They were also or chicken tendies. Yes, okay. delicious. Fries were average. You know, eh, nothing like amazing. If there was something you could change about your meal, what would it be? 
I, all right. Uh, one, I wish I got two sandwiches instead of a sandwich and fry combo. Okay. Because it's fast food. One sandwich isn't enough. It never is. Yeah. No. Um, no. And two, I would have gotten extra pickles. How was the oh. workload after? Downtown? Shitting. Yeah. Oh, fine. I got a great stomach. All right, good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, to hear. Ooh, and you... actually, if I'd gotten two sandwiches, I would have done one regular, one spicy. I did regular. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Did you go for the rice and beans? No. I was not Next... adventurous with my sides. Next time, rice and beans pop by. Oh, baby. I've been drinking during the day, so I didn't want to go crazy. All right. Um, so I was kind of just... And it was my first time. I wanted to stick to the basics. Lizzie had the mashed potatoes. Lizzie's had Popeyes before. It's not. It wasn't her first time. It was only my virgin Popeyes experience. Right, um, virgin pops. Yeah, and she got the mashed potatoes. Said the gravy wasn't good. And then, like ten minutes later, she's still eating it. And Emily, uh, your sister, is also there. And she's like, "Lizzie, I thought you said the gravy was bad." And she's like, "It is, but I'm still hungry." <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah. Was she high on weed? We all were. Oh, okay. Because I know those. It was pe- the President's Day. We had to honor them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who who was born on 420 again? Which president? Oh, Hitler. Hitler. Yeah, that's not Hit- a president. <laughs> different uh, kind yeah. of president. Bad yeah, guy. Different, kind of, different yeah. type of uh, different brand of yeah. tyranny. Yeah. Uh, look, Travis, I know you were on the, the show, the uh, drink a beer, play a game. What else have you done this week? Uh, that, was, that was a show, but tomorrow I'm actually doing something very interesting. I'm going to have to report back. Going into one of them float tanks for the first time. It's going to lay nice. around in the darkness. 80 minutes of just nothing. I'm very excited. Just 80 minutes? That's yeah, it? Just 80 minutes and nothing. So you, how, much is it, how much does it cost to go to prison for 80 minutes? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, to go into, what is it, uh, con- confined <laughs> uh, prison, uh I actually, uh, my girlfriend got me a gift certificate that she got for me for Christmas. So I think it's about is it 80 bucks, maybe. Oh, wait, Tomorrow. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> can, can you write it off? Dude, if I like it, if I like being alone in my thoughts in a floaty pool of warm water, I might. I don't think it's a container. I think it's open. I think yeah. it's open. Yeah, I think you yeah. can look. You can look up. I don't know. I want to be shut in there. Yeah, yeah. Because I just got a life insurance policy, so if it, it would be nice if I was shut in there and something happened. Nice big uh, payout. Because then people would like me. Yeah. Apparently, I, I'm, go- sh- I'm going to fuck up something in my future that will change that. But as of now, I think I'm fairly okay. Yeah. Well, we will see if I am going to be down $1,000 because there's apparently a $1,000 charge if you leave any bodily fluid in the uh, <laughs> the tank. How is it $1,000? I don't know. You just shit yourself in the tank. That's $1,000. <laughs> what? That's Wait. insane. Yeah. Hold on a, a second. A grand? Yeah. <laughs> How much is water by the gallon in Portland? Is it a drought over there? I think they changed the water between people. I hope they do. I don't know. They got to, like, decontaminate it. How much does a cleaning lady cost for just, like, I, slap some gloves on I her? really yeah. also think it should be more dependent on, like, this type of poo, you know? Like, if you have, right. like, wet diarrhea, yeah, maybe $1,000. If you got nice, solid logs, they're floating. Look, yeah, it's already it's a floating water. pool. Yeah, like, come yeah. on. You can't tell me. You cannot tell me. You know that these people who own this place, not only do they own dogs, but their family owns dogs, and they refer to them as kids. 
and the exuberance behind them scooping up poop yeah. as they walk through the dog park and through their neighborhood. Now, I don't know what Portland looks like, but if these people are avoiding picking up their poop and leaving it on the sidewalk like God intended, then I would understand $1,000. But I know these people. Yeah. I know what's in their heads. They're, they, are, they got the best bags in town. Well, so you can't see. go around charging $1,000 with a clear conscience. Let's see if I'm down $1,000. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. All enough. right. My don't God. eat Popeyes beforehand, I guess. No, no, they said don't eat. Oh, don't ever. eat at all. <laughs> yeah. Just Tom, uh, what about you? How are you doing? Um, I'm withering. I, uh, I still can't go to the gym. And I had made some serious gains in the uh, beginning of uh, 2022, a couple months before. I've been going very consistently. I lost it all. It's all gone. I'm gone now. I'm a, I'm a stick again. That's and how, it's, it's how quick it goes. Yeah. Uh, and I can't go to the gym for another week or else I'm going to bust this nose. Dude, human bodies are dumb and stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You should be able to yell at your body and just have it just listen to you. I mean, my, my stomach is more flat than usual. I like that. I'm going to keep that bit. But shoulders, all, all just muscles puny. Gone. Yeah. I mean, you got to think, I, I wasn't eating much for three, four ounces a day of nutrients for Oof. seven days. And that's I, was, it. Yeah. I was withering yeah. watching Harry Belafonte movies. And um, you weren't even allowed to speak. You weren't even allowed to like work those muscles either. No. Yeah. So now I'm, I'm suffering. Useless. I'm suffering and I'm letting you guys know. Maybe I'll, I don't know. Maybe I'll, I'll uh, start a creatine thing. I hear that's what oh. dudes do. Yeah. Dude, that's what I've that's been doing. I'm drinking those, those bangs. I've been banging myself in the car before I go to the gym. I have to call up Grant from Thought Cops. Because mm-hmm. that man is swole yoked. He is and yoked. He's the yokiest man I know. Yeah. I'm going to have to give him a ring and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Anyway, enough of my body. Let's get into another man's body. Let's so- go. Let's the three of us <laughs> strap up and get inside. Uh, this dead man's body. Let's get inside him. We'll get really deep inside him, and we'll wear his skin. Yeah. All three of us. Yes! We'll wear it into the uh, chamber, Travis. Yeah. All what? Right. Oh, into my tank. My thinking isolation tank. <laughs> we have to really get to know Gustav Krupp by wearing Wait. his skin and going inside a sensory deprivation chamber. Awesome. I don't think we should be joking about chambers with this episode that's coming up. Oh, <laughs> no, we shouldn't. I don't know. Hmm. We've been talking about German industrialists going back to the 1810s, and now we're up to the 1920s and 30s. wonder There's where this is going to go. Very mm. little tension, I'm imagining. Very little tension. <laughs> no, no. Very peaceful time. Pax yeah, no one's of unreasonably angry at various groups of people. No. So let's get back into the Krupps, everyone's favorite family. So we've left off World War One. The Krupp works had gone silent. The hammers had stopped forging the steel that had powered Germany for the last 80 years. And Germany had surrendered. November 11th, war is over. So what's what's next for... What's next for little Germany now? Huh? Gotta figure it out. Gotta blame someone. Gotta blame yeah. someone. Yeah, are they going to get hit with the same type of German disarmament crap? Because they're arming the entire world. Yeah. So, what does happen? Uh, Firstly, political violence rampant in all of Germany almost from the beginning. 
This is not confined to the right, the left, the center. Everyone's just kind of fucking everybody up in the streets. That's a snapshot of a world I want to live in. Just that part. Roaming gangs of uh, disaffected men and women. I I would just like to see what happens in that world uh, with no particular motive. Right. Just like, (laughs) no, you're up top. Now you're going in the trash. Yeah. Now it's trash time. Yeah. (laughs) Trash time. Uh, and so Essen in particular uh, was a hot spot that everyone was worried about. Um, this is not because of the Krupps specifically per se, but more so because this is the industrial heart of Germany. What are they going to do with everybody out of work? Um, because that's the main thing. Everyone's out of work now. All the factories have shut down. What's going to happen? Right. So like when COVID happened, what is everyone going to do? They're going to play Switch Nintendo. They're going to play the, the Animal Crossing. The animal exactly. Crosswalks. And that unfortunately, there was no Animal Crossing, so all the Germans were just hanging out in the streets instead of staying in their homes. <laughs> Thank true. you, Nintendo. Uh, but Gustav had a plan. He had a plan almost from the beginning. Once he really, once the wool was pulled from his eyes, and he realized the war is over, he started pl- planning for peacetime, planning for how the Krupp firm will adapt. What he decides to do, he retains every single worker that he had employed at the outbreak of the war. Um, but as we talked about in last episode, the firm had exploded in size. So that meant uh, an additional 80,000 workers that were hired during the conflict were all fired. Yeah. It's holiday season. Yeah. Yeah. Holiday season. Um, and remember the Krupp firm, like your whole pension, life security, everything is tied up to working there. And now that's been stripped from you. Um, it wasn't as dire as it sounds. Though a lot of these were foreign workers that wanted to go home. Um, whether the these Belgians, were like right? Belgians, well, the f- ones who were forced, they went home. These were like Poles living in Prussia, East Prussia, that was Prussia at the time. Poles that were living in Russia that like volunteered to emigrate there to okay. work because they were getting wages, they were earning, and they were kind of like, ah, eh, if they're forming a Polish state, I'm going to go home, type of thing. Like if I'm not yeah. living under the czar anymore, I'm going to go home. Oh yeah, yeah, makes sense. And uh, Gustav does a little extra to try to keep a lid on this discontent. Um, so the idea was if you left Essen within, I think it was a two-week time frame, he would pay you for that two weeks pay and he'd give you a free one-way railroad ticket anywhere. <laughs> I mean, he invented the railroad. Yeah, he yeah. got those <laughs> cheap. Yeah, he kind of owned the railroad, so it, it, it was his to give away. Get the Bugatti! Where do you want to go? Topeka, Kansas. Well, you can get a railway ticket to a port on the coast. Guys, start building. <laughs> yeah, Start oh, building gotta... the rail to Topeka, Kansas. The chun- a channel that runs from western France under the Atlantic, <laughs> under the east coast, and right up and out at Topeka. Yeah, under. did you say under France? I'm thinking you start early with the tunnel. Yeah. Just unnecessary yeah. digging. <laughs> right under France. Yep. Paris to Topeka, direct. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> So that was Gustav's plan um, to kind of keep a lid on the discontent in Essen, as I was saying. Uh, and he also knew that uh, arms manufacturing going to have to take a small hiatus. Uh, France and Britain thought it was going to be a long hiatus. We'll see how Gustav gets around that. Mm. So the firm kind of goes back to its roots. Um, they're manufacturing silverware. Remember, that was the first big thing Alfred had stumbled upon way back when. Right. Uh, but they're also diversifying uh, motor scooters, cash registers, 
any sort of small steel item, now the firm is making that. Uh, yeah, look, uh, you know, it's uh, not so much wartime. It's about having a good time, right? <laughs> so I've taken so many guns and turned it into playpens for children. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> it's a silly. Now our gun barrels are silly straws. This is not a howitzer. Now it's a salt shaker. <laughs> These seven guns are now a mobile for your infant. Yeah. <laughs> Have you guys uh, ever seen that those shell that shell art they did after World War One? It's kind of cool. Oh, like using the shells? No. Yeah, there's like a whole series. Like you can find them sometimes if you're like thrifting and stuff. People took all the shells and they like etched on them or like soldered extra shit on them and made these sculptures out of the shells. Oh, that's cool. Very popular. We should check it out and see if we can see the Krupp uh, imprint on any of them. Yeah, probably. We probably could. Uh, now, all of Gustav's efforts, um, they helped a lot, but they weren't going to fix everything. As I said, political violence is rampant in Germany. At one point, the Essen factories were occupied by a mob of 70,000 communists. Ooh. I don't think these were actually Krupp factories, though. I think they were non-Krupp factories in Essen. Um, but eventually, like, you know police restored order and all that as right. well. And we're talking like actual communists, not people with blue hair from Berkeley, right? We're talking straight Bolshevik communists. Okay. This is right after the Soviet Revolution. Um, this is when the Soviets are at their peak of like the international um, like international workers movement. Like we're all going to unite and the whole world is going to be the Soviet Union. When they had pamphlets and stuff, giving yeah. them out and being yeah, aggressive. Yeah, that was, when he's that like, was you know, that was Lenin's whole big thing. He's like, now we got to go become Mormons and go tell I'm, everyone about the joys of communism. I'm opening this dialogue purely to paint the picture, yep. folks. I'm not yeah. saying a bunch of people demanding things they don't understand about. They're just people who are sick of it. Yep, exactly. <laughs> now, the most disheartening fact of all of this, though, is that in the Versailles Treaty, it was stipulated that... Uh, dozens and dozens of the Krupp factories were to be straight up dismantled. Damn. Dismantled, um, the tools would be destroyed, and just basically kind of gutting the infrastructure of the Krupp industrial empire. However, this didn't really help. Instead of destroying all these factories and making it impossible for the Germans to rebuild, basically what the Allies did is just allowed the Krupps to upgrade from their like 1904 technology that they'd been adapting and adapting and adapting, and now brand new, brand spanking <laughs> new equipment in the late 19, early 1920s. Yeah, 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 we will get rid of this factory. Oh, it's so gross, ugly. Don't make any more. <laughs> yeah, we will throw away all these iPhone fours. Yeah. <laughs> That do you think they did that with the 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 factory that did razor the, the razor phones you know right they just dismantled <laughs> the whole thing they torched it yeah when the palm pre came out palm pre I mean that <laughs> depends on who you're talking about uh, or who talking to with that term the palm pre <laughs> <laughs> disgusting. Yeah, so they got all this new equipment, and also because um, everyone else thought that like the Versailles Treaty was working so well, the British and um, French arms manufacturers didn't update their equipment as fast, so that's right. why Germany had such a huge edge technologically in the beginning part of the war, is because they were immediately from the jump like developing everything new. Yeah, you know, sometimes it's okay to crash your 2007 Volkswagen Rabbit, Yeah, because... There are new ones. Yes. So you can just get that. Yeah. It's an yeah. excuse to make a step forward. It's like when I have a pair of jeans or pants that I wear 
every day for like six years and then finally there's like a huge hole in them and lizzie's like no you got to throw these out and then i get a brand new pair of jeans i'm like oh these are these are better these are better i should have just been i should have just gotten these from the start yeah I, I feel that i'm also uh i'm way more vain than you so i have several pairs of jeans that i wear all the time mm. uh so i can't relate to that one i just i only like one pair you know see when <laughs> I, they rip you can turn them into short shorts I do that with shoes, too. I'll, like, wear out a pair of shoes until they're falling apart and then be like, oh, I guess I'll buy a pair of shoes. Wait, I you ha- turn your shoes into short shorts? How do you do that? <laughs> yeah, you creative sewing. Oh, okay. I definitely veer, um, like, I will buy the same pair of Levi's in different colors. It's a smart plan. It's, it's like the uh, slightly augmented Dylan Farnham look mm. um, that I'm guilty of. But uh, either way, this is, I'm just talking about what I wear. Now, yeah, I sound retarded. Uh, what I are sound pants? retarded? Uh, <laughs> let's go. All right, so they just uh, the firm actually rebounds pretty well, all things considered. Uh, in fact, within three years of the war ending by July 1921, they have exceeded the size of the firm in 1914. So clearly, uh, the side treaty not working exactly as intended. Um, another way it was not working as intended is Germany couldn't pay their reparations. So they had this like huge war debt that they had to pay to France and Britain, um, but you also crippled their entire economy, so how can you expect them to pay back their war reparations? Um, and then the French, in one of the stupidest moves they'll make in the entire interwar period, invade and occupy the Ruhr Valley in 1923. Now, the Ruhr is this whole industrial area we've been talking about, Essen's right at its heart. Um, so now the Krupps are living under French occupation, Oh, so I didn't French never knew. I never knew that the French were like, "Oh, fuck you guys! We are going to yeah. grab your country now." They were like, "You <laughs> haven't paid us any money that we're owed," and so Germany doesn't have an army. So the French just march in like two divisions. So it's a really small, <laughs> small force to occupy like an area the size of I think like Connecticut, kind of. Uh, yeah, I had no idea that. Yeah, agitation happened. Yeah, 1923, the occupation of the Ruhr. Do you guys um, want to invade Connecticut? I feel like we could probably do it. Like us three. I think we could take them. Yeah, we could probably fuck up Connecticut. Yeah, absolutely. But no Brad, one really notice. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's where all the racists are from, anyway. Yeah, is that where the KKK is? Yeah, they're all they're all from there. Their headquarters are there. That makes sense. Right next to Vince McMahon's house. Next to the WWE. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this occupation, uh, the Germans kind of had a slight um, foreknowledge of it, like the French had been threatening it, and then finally it was like, oh, it happened. Um, so the Krupps had kind of planned a passive resistance. So the idea was the French were going to occupy it, but the, they still wanted everyone to work because that was where they would extract all the money from. So instead, it was kind of like a sit-in strike by all the Krupp uh, workers, where like they'd go to their j- stations but not actually work that hard. Ooh, that sounds um, like collective bargaining. Yeah, yeah a little bit, like right? That. Yeah, no, Krupp's no. like that, boy. But it's collective bargaining against the French, yeah. so that's good. Yeah. 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 <sighs> Man, Gustav must have been so mad. He was pissed. Um, in fact, it gets even more pissed because at one point, a French patrol is going around, kind of doing inspections and spot checks at places, and a massive crowd of all Krupp workers is just following them just kind of silently to like spook them almost so it's like a group of like 20 french soldiers and their officer with like a machine gun and rifles and just 
thousands and thousands of Krupps just kind of following them around and like jeering at them. At one point, they get uh, the French patrols in the inner garage, so they have no, they like back themselves into a corner because they're kind of panicking. And no one really knows how it started, but eventually things are being thrown back and forth, and you have like a reenactment of the Boston Massacre where the French machine gun opens up on the crowd. They killed 13 and wounded an additional 52 against these striking workers. And after that, violence breaks out all across the Rhine and all across the Ruhr. International opinion turns on the French. Even the British, their allies, are like, you need to get the fuck out of the Ruhr. This is a disaster. Everyone's pissed at them. Um, And Gustav is arrested by French authorities because the French are kind of defiant for a while. And they arrest him for inciting a riot and blame him for the deaths of these 13 workers. Big mistake by the French. Well, you know, he's trying to do Krupp's Massacre. They did the Krupp's Massacre, dude. It doesn't matter if... Well, that's technically a massacre, because the Boston Massacre was like two people. It's I think it was seven affected. Yeah. Two or three died. It's yeah. really it's, it's real small. It's not a massacre. Like no. uh, we've seen bus accidents in recent history that don't get called a massacre. I don't know yeah. why we have <laughs> yeah. to brand it yeah. like that. It was barely a mass shooting on today's scale of America. Yeah, ah. mass, shoot- mass shootings today. You know, they're they're kind of annoying. They're yeah. just like the Transformers movies. Like right. I don't care that you're just doing more of the shit. The story's not good. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Stop it. Boston massacre was a Wednesday in modern times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so the big mistake here, obviously, is that Gustav, by getting arrested for something that's clearly not his fault, becomes a martyr for this whole scenario, basically. He's a national hero. He was already halfway to being a national hero just by being associated with the Krupps. Now he's like, oh, he's even though he married into the family, he's a true Krupp standing up for Germany and standing up against the French. I gotta ask, Connor, when the French were there, did they occupy via Hugel? Uh, they did, but they, not like, um, the way that the allies will occupy it, uh, but they would like come check on the house. And I think like one French captain would like stay there a little bit. Mm. Um, but, but he left cause it was cold. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) It was really cold. He's like, this is insane. So this is what you Germans call luxury. Also, eh? why do you take (laughs) serve dinner at 645 and take my plate away at 651? It's crazy. Yeah. (laughs) This is insane. I'm trying to sit here and be French about it. I'm trying to, I'm trying to, as I bite into a roll, light a cigarette. Yeah. So I could tell a story about my father. (laughs) Doesn't make sense. I've been watching a lot of French movies. These people operate very strange. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the whole, the whole occupation of the were very strange. Um, if anything, arresting Gustav actually was the, one of the best things that happened to him because this is the same period where the uh, inflation in Germany just goes out of control. Oh. So he's in prison while that happened. Uh, okay. Doesn't really affect him. And also, he's in prison. It's technically a French military prison in Germany because it's under occupied territory. All his guards are German. He's given a huge cell. It's kind of comfy. It's... Similar to his house. Yeah. It's probably too warm for him, yeah. I would bet. He probably was like, please open more windows. They're like, you're underground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can't open windows, you to leave. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any way to make the rats come out of the cages on time? I'm very pissed off. They come in at all hours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> please. Keep you, it to when I'm not sleeping. Do you think we release these rats at a certain time? <laughs> well, you yeah, must. right? They're like tiny little horses. 
The little control freak. <laughs> <laughs> They're like uh, tiny little horses that eat tiny scraps of food. <laughs> and I can't ride them. <laughs> Another thing you missed while in prison is Adolf Hitler's Munich Beer Hall Pooch. Mm. Um, now, he, it's unlikely Gustav would have been involved in it if he was not in prison. However, um, this is like a little known fact about the Beer Hall Pooch is that Hitler was working with, you know, obviously a bunch of other national socialists, but he was also working with some World War One generals who had ties with Gustav. So there could have been a connection if he wasn't in prison, but he's in the prison the whole time. This is when he's part of what they called them the Freed Corps or whatever, right? The, the, right. This is like right after he had joined the Nazis. So the Nazis are still like the coalition of middle class socialists and hard, hard right Nazis. <laughs> for right. Like better right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he only does seven months of his 15 year prison sentence because the French kind of leave the roar with their tails tucked between their legs because. I guess I said international opinion had turned so harsh against them that they had just kind of left, even though they never got what they were looking for. <sighs> He's greeted to a hero's welcome on the train ride back to Essen, thousands and thousands cheering his return. Um, and the occupation did nothing but harden attitudes in Germany that rearmament was a necessary lifeblood of the German nation, and it just emboldened right-wing radicals that they needed a strong man to control Germany. So, now he's back in um, in charge. What's he going to do? Well, the first thing he wants to do is hit up those British arms dealers who owe him a bunch of money for killing German soldiers. That's step one. Right. Oh. That's his investment. You know what I mean? Like, if you've got... If, you're, if you've taken your coffee punch card, that you've, you have, like, seven of them, right? You're, the second you're back in town, you're going to get a billion lattes yeah. for free. Oh, yeah. He's turning in that punch card. He says, now he filed the initial claim in 1921, so before the occupation, but it would take years for it to finally be settled, both because of his imprisonment, but also because they kind of haggled over the price. He initially said that they owed him 260,000 pounds sterling, which I think is like $10 million today. Um, drags on for years, as I said, until they finally reach an agreement. So the Vickers arms manufacturers sent Krupp 40,000 pounds. Now, by the late 1920s, the Krupp firm is doing better than ever. Uh, they'd found some new metallurgical processes that were creating the best steel they'd ever made. Oh, so good okay. that in 1929, a little company that was building a big building in New York was like, we want Kruppstahl to make the tip of the tower of the building we're making. And it's still there today on the Chrysler building. Oh, oh. shit. So the Chrysler building is topped with Kruppstahl. I always think the Chrysler Building is one of the nicer-looking New York buildings. Well, now you know why. Yeah, it's built by that. the slaves of Belgian World War One, you know, occupiers. <laughs> All right, it's... maybe it's not that nice anymore. <laughs> nah, it's good uh, because it's good. you see what—it's the Art Deco look. It's the imagination yeah. behind the lines. That's very the German. Curves, the sh the, uh, the 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 shoulders of the thing, like Empire State Building is a ugly. It's yeah. a very ugly building bum, bum, by comparison. Bum. And, like, let's be honest, the Twin Towers, ugly. No, didn't even try. Didn't. Yeah, no. It's like the worst of 1970s American architecture. It's so boring so and stupid. It, I mean, it looks freedom, like a SUNY campus. We were talking about SUNY campuses yeah. the other day. Yeah. The Freedom Tower, ugly. Even worse, yeah. It, they really yeah. know how to not do it the right way, yeah. ever. All the new apartment yeah. buildings, ugly. 
Yeah. Modern, now, modern if, architecture is a nightmare. It really is. No, well, it's in the West. If we go to Dubai, and then they have all those really cool buildings. You want to talk about modern-day all... slavery? <laughs> yeah. Talk, oh, they know how to do it extra. Let's go to Qatar. <laughs> this, yeah. Well, at least they got cool-looking buildings. I don't know. No, they're, they are just as tasteless as the Persian nightclub owners who are building them. Uh, that, okay? That's true. They're, they're tacky. Yep. They're stupid. They made it the island shaped like the world. Terrible. Like, just make some islands. Yeah. Like, well, we know the what the world The palm, the palm tree like. one looks good, and it kind of makes sense, because it's like one big main avenue, all these little things branching off of it. Yeah, like, you don't want to live on a map of the world. It's so dumb. So d- yeah, but every continent in that little tiny island thing has a hookah bar. Oh, okay, I'm in. And you I'm can in. drive your Mercedes <laughs> Benz around the world. Look, I, I could go off all day about Dubai and what a terrible place it is and how I would bomb it to hell if I could, but we don't have that time. No. So let's get back into. 1920s Germany here. Talk yeah. about Connor, steel. I do, I do have a quick question about um, re, like the rearmament or the the Treaty yep. of Versailles. Like, so Germany couldn't produce any weapons or military weapons, right? right? Is that is that it? But it could still have like you could if you were a regular German, you could have like a shotgun because people hunted. Yeah, it was right? leisure weapons. It was like heavy yeah. heavy machinery weapons. So like no big cannon. Okay. Um, a cap on the amount of small arms and machine guns. The armed forces, I think, they're only allowed to have one division, which is like 10,000 men. Right. So that was as big as the army could literally be. Like, no general staff. We're going to see how they got around literally all of that. <laughs> good. Okay. All right, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so as there's a perfect transition. Gustav knew all along Germany is going to rearm soon. And really, when it gets down to it, it never they never actually stopped. They didn't actually just stop doing arms production. They just hid it from the world. Yeah, you fudge the books. They fudge the books. There were separate books in Berlin and in Essen, and then the one they're sending to Paris or London. Um, and basically, a lot of this we didn't find out until after World War II is how well hidden it was. Um, this only was like came because when in World War Two started, everyone's like, "How the fuck did Germany do this?" How like we knew they started rearming when Hitler came in, but still, how did they build a f- perfect war machine in six years? Well, they didn't have six years. They started doing it basically once the firing stopped. Right, sneaky, sneaky, sneaky! They went into all those blade nightclubs, yeah, right, with all the vampires partying, and they're like, "Get out of here, vampires! We have to make weapons, yeah, because <laughs> like they're, you know, the Allies aren't going to look in the vampire nightclub. They're not going to look there. They're no. also not going to look in neutral countries, which is where the Krupps kind of exported the rearmament program. Ah, yeah, like um, Sweden, likes yeah, exactly. Sweden was a big one. Spain was another. Russia, because the Soviet Union had different um, treaty agreement with the Weimar Republic, they were allowed to do it with uh, the Russians. Um, and this was all like an unspoken conspiracy between Krupp, a few other industrialists, and former generals and admirals, and also like some current ones, because again, the military is so reduced in size that even the former ones have power. And then, like, some of the Weimar Republic officials, like the ones they knew who were friendly to this idea, they would let in on, and they'd kind of earmark them money or give them weird tax breaks or say that they're paying them for locomotives, but really they're paying them for U-boats. So all of this is happening under the nose of the Allies. 
Right. Have you guys watched uh, Babylon Berlin? No. No. Oh, just check that one out. It's really good. I think it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, but it's it's on Netflix. It's, yeah, it's on Netflix. But it's about that Weimar Republic time, and they kind of go into like. I don't know, like this whole like their secret arms they're doing, mm-hmm. like Russians are moving shit around, and it's cool. Yeah, because there's probably like on, on. I'm guessing at this, but there's probably an ongoing like Soviet conspiracy within the Weimar Republic too, because it's such a corrupt government to begin with. Everyone right. who's anyone can get a hand in there. Anytime there's a corrupt government, that's where you gotta be to do illegal things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Look at the Baham. What is it? The Cayman Islands. Yeah, that's where I put all my money. That's where yeah. I. That's where I put all my heavy weapon designs. It's your patriotic violence. Patriotic duty. <laughs> yeah. To keep yeah. Your, the the government's dirty hands off it. Exactly. I don't want Janet Yellen to be yelling at me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Janet. That's why I keep my collection of illegal Funko Pops in Colombia. Yeah. Guarded by the cartel. Funko Pops are a child's opioid. That's what they're yeah. doing, and the adults Le- are eating them at quadruple the rate that they're recommended. These are the illegal ones. So. <laughs> right. The ones the ones that are good. Yeah. They right. don't have box heads. Because the legal ones are mini- terrible. They're miniature sculptures. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Gustav, like I said, he had a lot of plans for how to keep the secret. So another thing was rather... So like I said, they couldn't build big guns. And for Gustav, that was actually a benefit because... He didn't have to waste steel on guns that would be obsolete within a year or two, which is kind of the nature of artillery at this point. Mm. So it's like, instead, we're just going to work on design and maybe build one prototype. If it works, great. Keep improving that design until we have a new prototype to build. Um, And they also are focusing their production on the smaller secondary things needed. So like fuses, wiring, shells, casings, not even the shells themselves, and like the gears that you need for these guns. So... Producing the small things, designing the big things to keep it all hidden. Um, like I said, and they're s- working with they're working with Sweden. They know how to assemble big things. Yep, working with Sweden. <laughs> so I'm just saying that's true. And then with Sweden, they get like the little, they just have the little pamphlet where yeah, put this in here, then put the yeah. barrel on top. Lift this with two people, <laughs> not yeah. one. Yeah. Pull firing mechanism. Assemble on rug. <laughs> um. Krupp is personally sending uh, engineers and technicians to work in factories uh, in, like I said, Russia, Spain, Scandinavia, Turkey, um, where they would basically hone their skills, get hands-on practice, and then they'd come back to Essen to share what they'd learned. Um, He was making holding companies, creating partnerships and dummy firms to do all of this. Uh, Another place that is happening a lot is in Holland. Um, And he's also selling patents to neutral parties so even if it's not a firm he owns he'll sell them the patent uh this happened in spain where you'd sell the patent to a u-boat the spanish allowed uh krupp to send engineers to supervise the construction of these u-boats then when they were like ready for their shakedown run the (laughs) the german navy would send a delegation of like 45 guys to man this 45 man sub (laughs) and sail it around spanish waters and then they would return home and tell them everything they learned, and the boat usually ended up back in Germany. Or it was just scrapped. So basically, Germany is just <laughs> training a military in a different country, and no one is uh, noticing. I mean, they're getting it done. Yeah. <laughs> and also, I have to backtrack about a minute ago, when you said a term, uh, dummy firms. 
Yeah. Right. Does that or does it not sound like uh, what we should be calling erections in the modern Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I got a dummy firm. <laughs> oh, man. She gave me a dummy firm. <laughs> so do you think their excuse if they were caught in Spain was like, oh, like the, the, the U-boat and they're like, oh, I thought this was the duck tour of Barcelona. I thought we were going to go on the tour. Excuse me, what are you doing with that boat? Oh, nothing. Uh, we're doing a paella class under here. <laughs> yeah. we, it's deep sea paella time. <laughs> that sounds amazing. That's why I got my scuba license. We're filming the next season of Below Deck for Bravo. We use gunpowder inside of the the paella. <laughs> we are cooking it with velocity. Yeah. Um, so by the late 1920s, so this is now 10 years after it, um, the Allied inspectors are less strict. They can kind of just start doing it more openly. Mm. Um, so they're ramping up a huge amount of production. And now the firm is not just cannons. So in World War One, they were cannons and U-boats. And that was kind of it. Small arms with someone else. Um, now they're doing cannons, small arms, U-boats. And in 1928, the first Panzer rolls off the Krupp production line. Ooh. Ooh. Um, they're still carrying out secret field tests. Um, and then by the early 30s, even before Hitler's in power, uh, there are hundreds of Panzers rolling off the Krupp assembly lines every year. I would drive a Panzer if I could. It's a good name for a tank. Yeah. Sure is. Yeah. Flat as a Panzer. Mm-hmm. Flat as a that's the that's an anime with a big giant anime titties. A panzer, yeah, it's like called like Panzer Tank or something. It's like a, a the tank uh, has big titties. No, it's about these ladies that drive Panzer tanks. <laughs> a panzer also sounds like a Turkish guy trying to say pants panties, but just like reading the word for the first time. <laughs> panzers, Fine, oh, what pick is off panzers? your panzers. <laughs> How much for a evening? Give me uh, taking your panzers off. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, girls und panzer. Yeah, in uh, in Japan. Here. Yeah, this is a very important message for Travis. <laughs> These are all th all the we went very sexual in the last few minutes. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with dummy firms and panzer girls. <laughs> Yeah. Those Panzer girls giving you a dummy firm? Is that why? Yeah. <laughs> dummy firm. No, but what is with Germans and cats? Because it's the Panzer, it's the Tiger. Yep. Uh, and... There's a Leopard, but I forget what the German word for Leopard is, but that's one of the tanks. Oh, Panzer is just Panther? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I hate that. So. <laughs> right. So uh, Pantera would just be Panzer in Germany. Yeah. Panzera. Yeah. Mm. Ah. <laughs> uh. Now, uh, another reason that they can kind of get away with this more is the reason the Allies aren't as preoccupied with inspecting Germany is because the Depression's hit, and everyone's got their own problems to deal with. Of course. Including the Krupps. The firm is not unaffected. Um, so they still have a huge amount of employees, but they basically are only actively working half of them, and the other half are not getting paid, but they're still getting their, like, classic Krupp benefits, so they can't really leave. Oh, um, and the ones who are working are only down to a three-day work week. Um, so they're get, getting oh. like half pay, basically. You just can't awesome. eat guns. I yeah. want a three-day work week. I know, right? Yeah. That would be nice. Yeah. 
You see, uh, the thing you fight for, and all of a sudden the world tells you you have to do it, you start thinking twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't, don't know you want that, that seven-day work week back? <laughs> I want that we seven-day work week back. We don't know. They might have been happy. They might have been like, wow, this is the best corrupt day ever. Yeah. This is my Christmas Eve. These people are generations of paying attention to the clock. Yeah. They're task force, right? They don't want a three-day work week. They get Ajita on Saturdays. Yeah. You know? Gustav <laughs> must have been fucking losing his mind. Like Yeah. He's like, This is all I can afford. I can't I can't get on these people's cases more often. How do they tell time <laughs> when they don't have to go to work? <sighs> During this depression, what's Gustav doing? Well, he's been waiting for his knight in shining armor who'll come lead the German people out of their despair that they're currently in. Uh, like his hero, Alfred, he had always wished that there would be like a strong man who could come in, wipe through the error that is democracy, take power, and just guide Germany to a promised land. Okay. Would would now, this man be a little German artist or a little little uh, Jewish artist? Yeah, a little Jew boy. Uh, well, yeah. at the time it was not. Uh, he oh. was initially a supporter of the National People's Party, uh, the DNV which was led by one Alfred Hugenberg. Um, but he had kind of like started to rise in the beginning part of the Weimar Republic, but was starting to fade at this point in the late 1920s. Um, he was still also giving to basically any right-wing political party. He wasn't just giving to one. He kind of like spread it out, but that was his main support. Okay. All right. However, Gustav and Bertha's uh, son, Alfred, named for the great Alfred Krupp, he was a big fan of uh, the little artist boy that you were talking about. Right. Oh. Very, very early supporter of one Adolf Hitler. So he was walking around. He's like, you know what? I love these brown shirts. These are my favorite. They have a sale at Old Navy. Can you imagine that? We're not even allowed to have a Navy. I liked him before he brown was cool. Shirts. Yeah. Now, he was not a brown shirt. He was an SS man. Oh, SS jump. boy. Uh, he had actually had a very, I don't know how the exact number, but he had a very low um, Nazi party number, which meant he joined really early. And he also had a similarly low SS party number. <laughs> and okay. he also joined that early. So any excuse of, oh, I just joined the party because everyone is in it, not going to hold up. He's he's a modern man. He doesn't read the fine print. He's sold. Yeah, he he's sold. It. He's in. He's like, I want to know how to make $99 a day passively with cryptocurrency. Yeah. I'm going to commit to this bit. Mm-hmm. Right, and also SS stands for Super Saiyan, and I love Dragon Ball Z. Yeah. Uh, now, there's one important member <laughs> of the Crump family that... <laughs> uh, That's good. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> One of those Axis shows. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the guitar channel, Axis? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> now, there's one member of the Cup family that did not, did not like the Austrian uh, little angry man. That was Bertha. Well, too bad she's a woman. Well, here's the thing. What are some? There's plenty of reasons to dislike Hitler, right? I think we can all agree on that. I, I, plenty I of reasons to not like the guy. It's been heavily reviewed yeah. for quite some time now. Well, I think Bertha had a new one. Um, she didn't hate his policies. She didn't hate his politics. Didn't hate what he was for. Didn't hate anything that he supported. She hated him because he was low-class trash. Oh. What have I been saying? What have I been saying? 
Bertha, bringing it home. <laughs> she yeah. hated him because he wasn't a nobleman. That was almost the entire reason she did not like him. She once referred to him, this is before he's in power, obviously, as an ill-bred gutter snipe. Gutter snipe. <laughs> oh, yes. Good word. That's that's actually uh, frequently used in the Pygmalion, which I talked about last ah, week. Ah, all right. Oh, you gutter snipe. Gutter snipe, yeah. you wretched gutter snipe. Uh, and for, even when he was in power, refused to call him by his name and only ever referred to him as, quote, that certain gentleman. Yeah, so that was why Bertha did not Ooh, like him. Ooh, okay. Right, well... A uh, little side note about Hitler crossing uh, paths with the Krupps. When he was still kind of an unknown political agitator, he tried to visit the Krupp headquarters. He um, went to the main like headquarter building and was like, can I meet with um, Air Krupp, which meant Gustav? And they said, who, who the fuck are you? No way. He tried to go to Villa Hugel. They wouldn't let him in because they're like, you're just a lowly politician, not even in politics, technically. You just run a party, get out. And so instead, he had to go to like their public uh, exhibition that had the history of the Krupp family. Oh, he went to um, the Krupp Museum. Yeah, he went to the Krupp Museum, and we know or that we used to call it the Krupp Stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we know that because he signed in big script cursive letters his name in like the guest logs. Yeah, because we all know this, yeah. Hitler. Yeah, he may have caused a few atrocities but deep down inside not only was he trash but he was a gay artist yeah so yeah. he needed to show he off he was there he wanted to show it you off. know that a was like really it was the it, it was res, resembling uh, some kind of flower a lily mm. of sorts yeah. look i'm here i'm spring it's i wouldn't me. be surprised if he like stemmed it and like kind of had a flourish on it you yeah know? big bubble letters could yeah. you imagine if he wrote in like a glitter pen like with, with the bu- bubble letters like girls in fourth grade dude? he would have loved those types of pens <laughs> yeah yeah i'm also imagining him see- seeing the guest book and there's all the lines like i'm going to make it three lines <laughs> yeah my god now, uh, so that all will change for Hitler uh, on September 14th, 1930. That is when the Nazi party goes from a fringe radical party that has 12 seats in the Reichstag to the second largest party uh, in the Reichstag with 107 seats. They're now the second most powerful um, party in the government. They're fully legitimized with this. And even though over the next two years their power would like wax and wane, it's never full- they're never going to go away after this point. And it's at that point in the autumn of 1932 that Gustav finally comes around, joins the Nazi party, and starts donating boatloads of money to them. I mean, it's a write-off. Yeah, I don't it? think it is. <laughs> no? <laughs> I think he's just... He, he actually made a slush fund with a bunch of other industrialists huh. um, that was for use by, like, personal use by Nazi party officials. You know, I guess these guys maybe didn't like Jews. They didn't like Jews. Uh, the main thing for Alfred was obviously not liking the Jews was a big part of it. But the main thing yeah. for him is Hitler is like, no, we're going to rearm. And that's all Gustav wanted to hear. Right. I mean, uh, behind, obviously, you know, the the, the, the Jewish thing, we, we obviously know that about Hitler because he did so many bad things. But I feel like 
most Germans probably got behind it because Hitler was like, we're going to make Germany great again. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, literally, like, I'm not even just to make that analogy, just to be like, hey, no, there's pride in our country, you know? Yeah. Well, that's... We have jobs again. That's yeah. what happens. You know, you beat up enough people and you tell them that they're the wrong people all the time. You get these radical movements. It's not like... Yeah. It's not a surprise. Yeah. There's no, no. joking there. It's even like, if Hitler died in the trenches of World War One, someone else would have come along promising equal things and been equally as bad but in a different way maybe instead of taking it out on jews they would have taken it out on another people more hardcore imagine you know, if that, there was going to be a hitler in germany following world war one I, I, yeah, exa exactly it was primed for it uh, the jew thing is almost like like it's totally secondary too like we're, we're kind of it was hitler's anti-semitism that caused it to explode right but, but it could have been something else but anti-semitism was there long before that baked i mean in, like baked into europe yeah, with Germany especially, like Wagner, Bavarian oh, kings, yeah. all that shit. Like that's all mm -hmm. very like when we did the Nietzsche episode. That's when I found out like they were doing like basically the Nazi ideology, and Nietzsche had to like separate himself from that because mm -hmm. he was not anti-Semitic, was very vocal about that. All the elites that he was hanging out with were all like, "Yeah, Jews, let's uh, throw them in a pile." And he's like, "Oh no, no, no!" <laughs> yeah, and like well, that, Matt that's almost a hundred. No, that's. 70 years before yeah, yeah. Now imagine you know that uh, that's kind of interesting imagine like somebody else coming to power that wasn't hitler but instead of having his uh you know uh pencil brush mustache he has mutton chops so oh, like mutton chops for that mutton the chops would have been yeah. so different yeah, yeah everyone would have had mustaches we still call that chaplain. I'm he has just, a chaplain. I'm just imagining all four Beatles with <laughs> <laughs> on the Ed Sullivan show. <laughs> Been a hard day's night. God. Uh, yeah, so anyway, Gustav, big Nazi, giving them lots of money. Um, and in 1933, this is when Hitler is like, this is the moment. This is when he plans the Reichstag fire. This is when... He basically tells everyone in his inner circle, which includes Gustav at this point, 1933 will be the last election no matter what. If we win enough seats, we're going to abolish democracy. If we don't win enough seats, we're going to seize it by force and abolish democracy. That was the plan from the get-go. Uh, they win enough seats to not fully do it without force. They use the little bit of force that they need. Bing, bang, boom. Hitler's chancellor dissolves the Reichstag, and now the Third Reich can begin. And in large part, it was because it was funded by Gustav Krupp. He was the one that was funding all of Goebbels' propaganda films. Wow, look at that. Yeah. Mm. Got a regular old original YouTuber. Yeah. Goebbels. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is not a one-way relationship. And Goebbels was the first guy to get rid of the dislike button, so... <laughs> <laughs> That is pretty funny, actually. That is a that is a good uh, <laughs> is a good drawing of a comparison between big tech and Nazis. Yeah, and the Nazis were the first deplatformers. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was like a two way relationship. Hitler obviously wanted Krupp's industry, but also associating with the Krupp name on its own was worth just as much. And for Krupp, this was a way to boot line his own pockets. Listen, Gustav, I, I, it's me, your friend, Adolf Hitler. <laughs> I have a favor and an idea. This might be bank for both of us. Hear me out. Mustache combs made from your fine steel, my autograph. Ooh. <laughs> wow. This is going to sell at all the crop stops. <laughs> I don't know how he could say no to that. Das I don't know how to do a German accent at all. <laughs> we've all I'm we've, all over the place. Been, I think we should stick to only Jersey accents. 
for yeah. every person. That is a good idea. And, well, Krups, Krups write, writes back, Das ist fire. Yeah. yeah. Das ist fair. Fuhr. Das yeah. ist fuhr. <laughs> mein fuhr loot crates. Ah. <laughs> uh. Yeah, so I said you're a Luke. Sorry, that just hit me like late. <laughs> uh, it could uh, be fun. It could be very fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I got the Aver Braun Luke crate. <laughs> Look at this T-shirt. I can use the Lenny Reifenstahl uh, filter now. <laughs> Tav <of> a swastika. <laughs> Donald Duck. <laughs> Uh, so what Hitler does uh, with Krupp is he makes Gustav uh, basically the controller of all German industry. It's all now, they all basically have to answer to him. Um, nice. His very first act, he expels all the Jewish industrialists from all of their businesses oh, God, and God. all the business organizations. Mm. Now, Hitler follows that up by helping out Krupp by immediately raiding every single German union's headquarters. So now all the unions are getting destroyed, just as Krupp always wanted. Oh, now we can switch smart. to the Jersey accent. Whoa, 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 what are you doing my union? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's a tool that we use against, uh, you know, corporate hypocrisy <laughs> to uh, make sure things are uh, conducive to our environment. We're Local 26, and you're getting rid of us? Yeah, our boss is a giant inflatable rat. You ain't taking away our communities. <laughs> Not with us being here. No way. All right, I'll get out. I'll move. We're the best. We're the best union in Munich. <laughs> I love uh, it. I love Jersey. We're gonna bring the Jersey Long Island accents. Yeah. That's we'll just stay stick what, with what, what we know. What we know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Gustav also became uh, and continued to be Hitler's chief financial do donor. And as we said in the last episode, this is a guy who was the perfect bureaucrat, loved to serve, always was looking for the, someone who could tell him what to do. And he was signing his letters to Hitler as your obedient servant. What a gay. Oh. Real simp <laughs> attitude there. Yeah, very simp. Well, he was simp in the last, last uh, yeah, uh, he's simp in episode hard. two. And he's probably simping to Bertha. I mean, she's a foot taller than him. Yeah. And all the money is, again, oh, it's all her the money, money is right? still technically hers. He has zero controlling interest of the Krupp firm. She should have put her foot down, got rid of that low-rung low trash. Gutter, that, gutter yeah, snipe. <laughs> gutter snipe, ill inbred retard. Yeah. God damn it. Uh, so in April of 1933, this is when the Hitler salute becomes required of all croupier on the factory floor and in the factory offices. So this is just as like, and then within a year or so, I think it's just the requirement of every German. But uh, Gustav got in there a little early. Did they have a special Krupp salute before where they spelled Krupps with their fingers or something? <laughs> no, they did a little dance. It's the Krupp uh, Krupp 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 walk. Yeah, Krupp walk. Yeah, they rip the bottom of their pants off and expose the later hose underneath. <laughs> they do a dance around a little bit. We hated use. We like to do all the things like a make a gun for use. I don't know. Uh, and then Hitler finally makes his first official visit as the as the Führer to the works in June of 1934, and Bertha forbid him from staying in Villa Hugo. <laughs> nice. Oh yeah. 
Uh, Hitler is also like, oh, I'm going to stay with my friend who lives in Essen, and everyone's like, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll see you at the R- Ramada Inn. Yeah, well, I'm going to Villa Hugel, but you're going to stay with your friend Franz or whatever. Like, yeah, stay in his, stay you staying imagine? on his fucking, like, his pull-out couch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, Chancellor. It's just like back in Vienna yeah. when we were painting, remember? No, we, my are friend going to have, a- we are going to have a slumber party. Yeah, boy. <laughs> We went to Blockbuster, and we rented movies, and we're going to swim in his hated pool. We got RoboCop. <laughs> so much better than Via Hugo. Yeah, yeah, so much better. Yeah. I wonder what they're doing. This place has heat, and we can watch the end where Clarence Bordica dies. <laughs> and it's not 22 degrees in the hallways. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, then, 1934... You brought up the brown shirts, Travis. I brought up how the Nazi party initially started as a merger between like middle class socialists who hated the Jews and hardcore right wing radicals who hated the Jews. Mm. Well, now Hitler is like time to purge all those middle class socialists. This is in the call, what's now called the Night of the Long Knives. I have heard of this. It's the yeah. Ernst Rom uh, purge is another name for it because Rom was the head of the brown shirts slash SA. Also, Ernst Rahm, I, um, I've been trying to find enough Ernst. information on him to do a roast. He was actually like fairly openly homosexual. Yeah, that's another, another another big reason why this purge happened. Right. Well, Hitler was like, I'm totally not gay, but we had a slumber party, and I, he was trying to look at my pee-pee. He had a dummy firm. Yeah, dummy firm. <laughs> a dummy firm, and he inserted it like a Rahm, an <laughs> Ernst Rahm. Mm. Uh, now, th- what's interesting about the Night of the Long Knives, though, is it happens just a few days after uh, Hitler's visit to the Krupp Works. Now, it is more than likely that he had told or helped plan a little bit with Gustav this purge. Because Gustav hates socialists, so it makes sense for Hitler to kind of let him in on what's happening. Sure, yeah. yeah. He's, got the, he's got the money. Yeah. Now, also, what the SA purge allowed Hitler to do is make rearmament the number one goal in Germany. Um, the budget for rearmament skyrockets to 21 billion marks um, and still being hidden entirely from everyone. So the, like, the budget says 6 billion for our rearmament, but it's 21 billion. Um, and then on March 16th of 1935, for all intents and purposes, the Versailles Treaty is torn up when Hitler decrees military conscription, the creation of an army of 12 corps and 36 divisions, and open rearmament, and the Allies don't do anything. Pussies. They really were. <laughs> they could have just marched in, and Hitler would have been deposed and spent the rest of his life in a French jail. I think they liked the industry idea. Maybe. I mean, industry does wonder. I mean, war, war. We've seen it in our lifetime, like just needless fighting and shit. It's how mm-hmm. you know the. Uh, do you think the Rothschilds cares about any other Jew? You know what I'm saying, eh. just make money. That's why I'm saying go to war all the time. Big hey, proponent of war. Stop. I don't Have care you what you're fighting over. On the phone to a guy in Moscow lately. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> not that you've seen. Ah, okay. <laughs> Uh, yes, so Krupp knew this was coming. Um, he had been planning for it. He was ready to pounce right when, like, all the cover comes off and they can kind of start doing this more in the open. And he recalled all of those engineers and technicians that were 
out uh, in the neutral countries. He brought them all back to essence, so now they're ready to hit the ground running. And now that the rearmament's open and in the air, guess what they can finally start doing? One of the Krupp family's favorite traditions. Big old barrels. No. Travis, you uh, I guess? Uh, smelling poop again? No, guys. It's selling guns to the enemies of Germany. Oh! oh now that yeah. they can make guns for Germany, they can make them for everybody else, too. So now the international right. orders are flooding in. They're selling guns to Poland. They're selling guns to the Russians. They're selling guns to the Belgians and the Dutch. This is, and this is why no ally forces invade. Because they're sitting at home buttering a piece of toast going... That's some good fucking guns. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The French right. weren't buying them, so no excuse for the French. This was, this was the time to occupy the Ruhr. Yeah, the French are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as the 30s roll along, De Firma is solidifying itself as the most powerful corporation in the Third Reich. Um, Gustav now owns controlling interests in hundreds, maybe thousands of corporations, basically in every industry you can imagine. Um, and this is also now, including his ours foreign holdings. Now, was Hitler cool with himself sending guns to other countries? Hitler was way more cool with it than either of the Kaisers ever were. Um, okay. Because, one, he wasn't selling them to England or France, so that was a big part of it. Uh, and two, while he's... I was going to get into this later, we're going to do it now. While he's selling all this internationally and while those technicians were in the foreign countries... They were doing a double job of spying on those countries and reporting that intelligence back to Krupp, who had passed it along to Hitler. Oh. So basically, Hitler is like, it's a necessary evil if we sell them some guns, but then we know exactly how many guns they have, what make and model, where they are, where they're stationing them, what types of guns they're buying, and that type of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you do have the upper hand if you have their like an entire inventory yeah, sheet. Yeah, like you know everything they've got. You, and you can outgun right. them in every way. Yeah. You know, be exactly. like, oh yeah, we so, stole a bunch of these. We need to work on something that's gonna just mm -hmm. outfire that. And also, he knew like, Krupp's arming me. I can't piss him off. Like, whereas the Kaisers, they knew that too, which is why they would always eventually back down. For them, it was like a matter of pride. More, it was like, well, oh no, I don't want you to do it though. Even though I, you're arming me. Hitler's like, I know you're gonna arm me first, so I don't give a shit. And, and like you, you said that they're selling to Poland. They're probably selling the Polish blanks. Probably. Yeah, Probably just, selling them the inferior <laughs> guns like they always do. Just like some pepper in right. there. Yeah. Like, ah, and they yeah. couldn't tell the difference. Mm -hmm. um, it's also around this time in 1936 that 30-year-old Alfred finally comes into the Krupp firm after kind of being a little wayward in his uh, early youth. 30 years old? Yeah. When you have an opportunity like that, you don't wait till you're 30. He like kind of had a weird rebellious streak. Mm. Um, again, he's, he's also a Nazi, a... but... Like, <laughs> yeah. Did did he go off to an island in the Mediterranean as well? No, he did something <laughs> worse in the minds of Bertha. He married a divorcee. That is Ooh. gutter snipe activity. Yeah, and he was like, yeah. he, he basically eventually <laughs> has to divorce her because of how ashamed they were that she had been married before. <sighs> and he probably owned like a jazz album. Maybe. You know, that's, yeah. that was a big no-no. It was race cars. That's what he really loved. Oh, He bought race a cars. fuck ton of race cars. Mm. Yeah. Um, Race, cool, cars, divorcees, and jazz. Yeah. yeah. And uh, the, he will have a son of the divorcee, and we'll talk about him at the very, very end. Uh, Alfred, we're gonna, he's going to come up a lot, because he's a real piece. He's the real piece of shit in this family. Uh, but this was also 1936. Alfred, guess what he did that year? 
won a bronze medal at the Berlin Olympics for the eight meter sailing class. Okay, sailing. Right? That, oh. that describes a lot about a person. <laughs> that is also one of the strangest Olympics ever. If you've ever seen that footage, you know, I'm sure of like, you know, some of the countries are doing the Nazi salute. Like, I think there's a few Americans and. Yeah, thanks for that, having that us. Berlin. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> what's going, going on, man? Ah, I was hey, just waving. Nice mustache. Why is everyone pointing that way? The sun's over here. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, and then the, that was also what was his name? Um, gosh, the, the the black runner. Yeah, the black runner. Jesse Owens. Jesse Owens. Right, right. Jesse so three that must have really pissed him off. Like, uh, well, I mean, they did a whole movie pissed, about it, it so you know Hitler, Hollywood confirmed. He, it. Jesse Owens himself said he used he kind of turned it back on America. He's like, I actually got treated better in Berlin than I ever got treated in in the South of America. I totally believe that. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. and yet Southern Americans will treat me as a hero, but won't let me eat dinner with them. Well, you know, you think he's in Germany. They're, it's an international affair. They're obviously not going to kill him or hurt him or anything like that. And they're showing off how great Germany was. So they're on their best behavior. They probably said some backhanded yeah. compliments to him. Yeah. You know? You know, oh, uh, you, uh, you've got such great genetics <laughs> for running. <laughs> like, things like that. Really mean-spirited, right. but like... Uh, you know what I'm getting were at. Pausing like, for a second, was like, was that racist or are you ignorant? Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's happening? Yeah, Hitler's like, Hitler's like, we're a country full of full of Woody Harrelsons. <laughs> I, you can jump so much higher than all of them. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that is fun, actually. Uh, I like that. That was a good joke. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this time, also Hitler is obviously rearming the country this isn't just because he wants to be a, have a strong army it's because he fully plans on going to war with anybody and everybody now who knows about this obviously the nazi officials do the military planners who are planning the invasions do and the krups do krups are being kept abreast of all of hitler's plans um so they knew about like the occupation of so they militarily reoccupy the rhine it was like a demilitarized zone in germany so when germans send um, like one division of troops in, it's this big deal, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, the Germans are remilitarizing." And Hitler has said many times after this, like, if the French had gone in, we would have had to retreat. We didn't have any training or any guns, but the French and the British too scared to fight. French are thinking about how bad the other occupation went, so they're not going to do it. And it works out well for uh, Hitler. He had already let Krupp know. He's like, "Hey, we're going to try this thing. Let's see how it goes. It goes well for Hitler." Yeah. Right, and also what I kind of what I kind of said before with like the Olympics, like a lot of people in those countries, like England and America, and like even some people in France were like pro Hitler. Have you seen the footage of the Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden? Yeah, it's yeah, right, yeah. the big bunt or whatever. Yeah, bunt. Yeah, it's like a hundred thousand yeah. people. Charles Lindbergh was like the keynote speaker. <laughs> yeah, he was. Well, Hitler was the cover of Time magazine. Yeah. in like 30, 35? probably thirty six actually. Thirty six. Yeah, yeah, it's like. Very strange the way things panned out, you yeah. know, and now and now it's like, you know, now everyone's Hitler. Everyone's now. Hitler. I know. mean, the man of the year this year is probably going to be Pete Davidson. So, you know, <laughs> things do change. Well, the man of the things year, they're not doing man of the year anymore. It's only Whoopi Goldberg's of the year. Who well, guys, uh, them's, just be thankful of all year? of us were once person of times person of the year. Yeah. Right. It, yeah, I. We've done it. We've achieved the same thing as Hitler. We were all people of the year. Was that a thing? The person of the year in like 2003 or something was you. That's the dumbest. That was the shit. mirror one, right? Yeah, it was like a mirror. It was like the person of the yeah. year is you. You know, something better 
burn down the Time Magazine publication <laughs> building. Fuck that. We need place. to stop them. Yeah, just stop them while they're ahead. Yeah. I don't care about Princess Diana dying. I don't need to read about this kind of shit. Put it away. Now, uh, it's so now we're up to like the 1939, early 1939. So for those who know your dates, you know what's coming. Um, however, in the spring, Hitler tells the Krupps. So now I'm saying Krupps because Alfred and Gustav are like working hand in hand at this point. Finally. Um, and he tells them, hey, we're going to invade Poland uh, probably in August, August or September, just so you know. They go, great. Uh, we will suspend all shipments of arms to Warsaw. Now I specify shipments because <laughs> the Poles don't receive a shipment one week in March or April, and they're like, "Hey, where is it?" And they're like, "Oh, the trains are all messed up, but uh, your your payments are still good, and we'll keep taking orders." Yeah, <laughs> and then they're like, "Wait, they, there's it's been three months now. Where are all our guns? Oh, the trains. You know, Hitler didn't make the trains run on time. Sorry, guys. <laughs> this technique has actually been adopted by the Girl Scouts oh. for their inevitable takeover. They're plotting, right? Us. Yeah, they're plotting. I, Have you ever I've ordered some cookies and then? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I give them so much money for cookies. I wait all the time. I got wait. Yeah, hate it. Hate they it. learn from the Krupps. Yeah, so this would be a pattern that would repeat for every single one of Hitler's declarations of war and subsequent invasions is the Krupps would get about six months to a year's warning and would just stop sending out shipments but keep accepting orders and payment and just making up excuses as to why it was getting sent out. Hmm. All right. Probably pretty easy for the intelligence community. Yeah. Like, oh, well, they're not getting... Well, wait a minute. <laughs> Yugoslavia just stopped getting all their Krupp guns and their yeah. panzer divisions surrounding the country. Yeah, uh, I don't know, boss. Uh, maybe they're going to get invaded. Yeah. Shut up, Steven. <laughs> the panzers are You're there for fun, yeah. so let's just get that out of the way. Okay, yeah. it's fun here on the border. Uh, now, this is when the spy stuff that we were talking about before um, is really paying dividends. They're really starting to like give super accurate um like production numbers back to germany so the russian the germans know exactly what's coming so now war is out war started let's jump into what happens with the krupps during world war ii uh gustav is 70 at this point and he's starting to show his age that's why alfred is now kind of working hand in hand with him is because gustav is maybe kind of starting to lose it um he had shown a lot of like cold feet once it time came for the actual war part like he was so focused on rearmament that he forgot that it meant, oh, we're going to go to war again and we might lose. And mm. even though they're winning a lot at the beginning, his paranoia just never goes away. He's like a hoarder. Yeah, he's, he's like, like a hoarder. Ah, the world's going to end. He's not a risk not taker. Yet. This guy's not a risk taker. Mm. Right. He's like, maybe my wife is right. Maybe he is just, Hitler is just a gutter sniper. Yeah. He, he starts doing <laughs> weird things too where he starts like sending out um, diplomatic feelers to like, Paris and Washington and London kind of saying like can we somehow stop this war that's about to break out and no one catches him for it and he gets away with it but he was basically committing treason against Hitler yeah, but All, Hitler right, probably, at the, right at the end like right when he's like ooh I don't, do I want to do this <laughs> maybe not <laughs> Hitler may have known and it could have been like a delay tactic too a, a delay on their end wouldn't have been so bad they're yeah. still making guns it's like they're they're stopping shipment yeah 
I mean, it would have really helped if Italy started buying some of these guns. Oh, yeah, right? But uh, <laughs> besides that, everyone else gets no, cut off. No, we use a spaghetti gun. Uh. Yeah, spaghetti I gave you gun. one Fiat. You give me ten guns? Maybe ten guns? We make a Ferrari instead. <laughs> uh, no, no, Mr. Mussolini. Uh, Benito Mozzarella. Uh, we will not be accepting calzones for our, for guns. Yeah. Uh, it's just not sustainable. But it's the Mamma Mia's one. Yeah. Uh, we have plenty of bread dumplings over here, okay? <laughs> uh, now, Alfred, he was a dedicated SS man. He has no such reservations. He's agitating for the fight, and so are all of his younger brothers. So all the other Krupp children, you have Klaus, who is described as like the near-perfect Aryan ideal, like tall, blonde, blue-eyed, strapping young Nazi. Also, the name? Klaus. Yeah, I know. Klaus Krupp. Well, actually, no. None of these kids are technically Krupps. That's part of... Remember that? How, like, Gustav was allowed to become a Krupp? Oh, but they all Only had Only the oldest name? son was allowed to become a Krupp. Uh. All the rest were von Bolen und Halbachs. Von Bolen... Klaus von Bolen Halbachs. <laughs> the... Uh, und Halbach. Don't forget the und. Und Halbach. Now yeah. that, uh. if, if there was an Aryan... Name, name ever spoke. <laughs> yeah. uh, Tom, I don't know. That sounds pretty Chinese to me. Well, they're gonna bingy get, bongy bulk. <laughs> they might get more German as we go. Guys, just it's all access to me. <laughs> what was China even doing to, during World War uh, II? Being destroyed by Japan. Well, yeah. maybe <laughs> they being, asked for being it. raped by Japan. <laughs> I don't know. That's a harsh word. The rape of Nanking. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> I actually don't know this. The Nanking. Rape of Nanking? You've never heard of that? No, actually. Oh. I am, I'm removed from a lot of Eastern uh, history. All I right, really we're am. We're going to talk about like General Hama next. Get into it, please. Bring <laughs> yeah. it in. Every time I've covered I mean, someone to Asia, yeah, this, I've just from, embarrassed myself out of a tech job. Let's go from covering the Holocaust to the Rape of Nanking. That's not depressing. Ah. Uh, yeah, you know, next next week yeah. on depressing history. We'll need another Herge <laughs> sprinkled in there. To- hey, next yeah. week, <laughs> next week I'm starting a two parter that is going to be very very downtrodden with uh, domestic violence. <laughs> At least that's personal. That's on a personal level. Yeah, but it's a lot of it. <laughs> oh God! All right, so let's talk about these perfect Aryan children. <laughs> Because we're just going to cover their fates right here. Yeah, call them what they are. Perfect yeah. Aryan children. So Klaus, <laughs> he's the second oldest. He's in the Luftwaffe. Berthold and Harold were Oberlieutenants, which is like the equivalent of Captain. And young little Eckbert, who's 17, is just a lieutenant. All three of them were in the Wehrmacht, and fittingly, they're all in artillery battalions. Hmm. Now, we're going to cover the war, but I want to cover what happens to them during the war. This will kind of set the stage for the tragedy. Uh, Alfred, he's going to live on. He's in charge of the firm, never really in danger. Klaus killed in action over the skies of France in 1940. So almost right off the jump, Klaus is dead. Cool. Harold would be captured on the Eastern Front in 1944, and he would spend the next 10 years in Soviet prison camps. Oof. Scheiße! Hot gulags. <laughs> Real rough. <laughs> uh, young little Eckbert, only 17 when the war breaks out. He lives until 1945, but he is killed during the German retreat in Italy. Scheiße! So own little, only Berthold survives, their war, survives the war. And one of their daughters, Imgard, she had married a German uh, Wehrmacht officer as well, who would also be killed 
during the push for Stalingrad, no, the push for Moscow in 1942. And they did not learn of his fate until the 1945, I think. We can guess he's dead, though. Oh, they probably dead. said he's, that a yeah, lot. Yeah, he's dead. Hope he's all right, but yeah, so we know. That's what's in store for the corrupt children. Um, but when war breaks out at the beginning in 1939, one of their chief concerns is, once again, how do we protect the Ruhr? That was their chief concern in World War One. You know, we got to protect our industrial heart. Is France going to come screaming over the Ardennes forest while we're invading Poland? Nope. The French stay behind the Maginot Line, even though they probably could have just walked into Germany unopposed. What a they, bad set of like timing. The, these French people and their yeah. timing this episode are killing me. Yeah, could have yeah. could have gone in at any other time except for the one time they went in and had a great success and said they go the one time that's going to be failure. Talk about the zero <laughs> blows. Yeah. Uh, now another corrupt family member um this is bertha and gustav's nephew now all of the corrupt not all but i think most of the corrupt children were all educated in like oxford and cambridge cool um including their nephew who uh is in cape town south africa when the war breaks out he tries to sneak back to germany so that he can defend the fatherland he's captured in south africa they realize who he is that he's a corrupt so they're going to send him to an english pow camp um, when he gets there, it's early 1940, so the war is not looking great for Britain, so they decide to move all the high-profile POWs that they have to Canada. While he's on his transatlantic journey, his ship is attacked by a Krupp U-boat and struck by a Krupp torpedo and sinks to the bottom of the ocean where he dies. Oh, damn! Yes. Did now it yourself. The, now the Krupp guns are turning on their own. Ah, man, yeah, it's Guns don't kill people. It's Krupps who are bad with guns killing people. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say he settled in Canada and then his great-grandson is now driving a truck across Canada. <laughs> his great-grandson is now a trucker. <laughs> God bless those people. Yeah. Uh, so then finally Hitler turns the Blitzkrieg West uh, in the spring of 1940. Um, and it's seven panzer divisions, all of which were built in Krupp factories that roll over the low countries and conquer France in just six weeks. Alfred, like his, I guess Alfred is his great grandfather, right? No, Alfred's his grandpa. Uh, just grandpa, right? Yeah, no, just great grandpa. Because it's Alfred, Fritz, oh, Bertha, Fritz. and then Alfred. Oh, right. I forget yeah, about Fritz. I forgot about Fritz because he he's just, so quick. He erased and himself. Out. Yeah, he killed himself. Yeah, so his great, like his great-grandfather, tracking the progress of the German war effort in France, but he's not tracking how are my cannons doing. He knows his tanks are doing great. What he's tracking is what factories that are in France and Belgium have come and Holland have come under our control and are now mine. Smart. Connor, I got to stop I got to stop you here. Yeah. Any res any renovations being done to Castle Hugel? <laughs> <laughs> no. But they barely lived there at this point. Oh, okay. They, it's kind of just become like the office building. Actually, wait. No, there was some sort of construction because Alfred hated Villa Hugo. All the kids of his generation hated it. What's to like? <laughs> know, right? There's nothing yeah, to right? like. It's yeah. just tall. Yeah, that house of ours. He built his own house somewhere else on the grounds. So that might have been under construction as the war is breaking out because he only moved into it like in 1940, 41. So maybe it wasn't as like clear as the other two, but yeah. So you want to do some renovations around here? 
Nah, yeah. just order one of those Sears houses, Here, put it up. We, got, we should look at the website now, because it's a museum now, and if they're doing renovations, then we know they caused the war in the Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Travis, can you look that up? You're, uh, yeah, I'll look it up. Via Hugo. Um, so he's tracking, uh, dividing up the spoils of all these conquered territories, even though like international law forbade this from happening, the Nazis, they're not following international law. No. So Alfred now is the controlling owner of factories as far east as Poland and as far west as the Atlantic coast of France. Wow. Are all part of the Krupp Empire now. Damn. Now the bad news for the early part of the war is still just confined to the personal tragedies of the Krupps. Obviously the war is going great for Germany at this point. Mm. But in 1941, Gustav suffers a stroke. Now the family keeps it quiet so quiet in fact that only gustav bertha the family doctor and their youngest son waldtrout who was too young to join the wehrmacht waldtrout 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 von bolen und halbach now that sounds like another perfect Aryan. yeah i was gonna say is he a billy bass like is he related to billy bass i'm pretty sure this is like the only time he came up in the whole book like i don't think he was and there was that guy. You know he lives in Argentina now, oh, or did for till the eighties. Yeah, and yeah. he just he's he's hanging out. He just say, singing, yeah, "Take there's... me to the water, <laughs> put me in the river." Yeah, there's a Esteban von Bolen und Halbach who lives in Buenos Aires and drives a Mercedes. Well, now, why and has not? Blonde hair and blue eyes. You know, as, as the evil that these men did, they built a hell of a car. Yeah. So uh, it, it uh, just an update. It seems like Via Hugel is open right now. Although they are not doing private or public tours because of Corona, oh. so All they're right. not open. What they could if, be renovating? They could be renovating. We just don't, call them up. We'll call them up tomorrow. Say, yeah. are you guys renovating? Have you put in any new construction? It's dust knocking down <laughs> dust walls. <laughs> uh, now this wasn't a completely debilitating stroke. He took time to recover, and he could kind of start to do a little bit of public appearances. Mm. But this is the beginning of the end for Gustav. He's less coherent than ever. He's not even working at the firm. He just kind of has an honorary title. It, it's the be- it Really what it is is the beginning of uh, some kind of weekend at Bernie's scenario. And a little bit, yeah. <laughs> They're like kind of pushing him up at the podium. Technically, I said honorary title, but his title is exactly the same, but it becomes honorary because they can't give the firm over to Alfred just yet. They have to like go through some legal mumbo jumbo even with the Nazis. Paperwork. Well the, the mm. Aryans and their paperwork. paperwork. Every yeah. time these Aryans get involved, there's so much paperwork. Yeah. I think the only ones that haven't beat are the Soviets. Are they bad on paperwork? I would imagine oh, they're yeah. terrible. They they both love their bureaucracies just in different ways. I mean we yeah. know we all know, everyone knows this, that the DMV is definitely a result of some kind of project paperclip transformation oh it's gotta be yeah. yeah have you ever like we've all been to those places yeah. it's just like this is this is close that's this where the secret is, government's I, hidden this I'm is just like, imagining no building the, needs to be that big for that few shit that's happening in there yeah i'm just i'm just Ugh. imagining the u.s government being like have you seen uh carl klausman he's the makes driving miserable for everyone in germany <laughs> we need to get him over before he's tried at the nuremberg trials it's 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 crazy it's like uh it really, I feel like there is some kind of systemic racism within the DMV. I kid you not. We'll, we'll root it out. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to get too bogged down to the war. We're just going to talk about what the corrupt firm is doing during it. So we're going to skip right over the invasion of Russia. 
It happened. We yeah. all know. That's not for the show. No. You know, that's like, yeah. a, that's a big, go listen to Dan Carlin and come back. Yeah. Go listen to Ghostly Oz Front, have a great 12 hours, and then come on back. Yeah. yeah. Um, or he might cover something in the future. Yeah. Maybe just, uh, you know. We're, we yeah, are maybe. Pe- we're just doing puzzle pieces of, of these wars. You know, they're yeah. not, we're, we're not doing a completionist war tale here. So doing really detailed like square inches of the big picture exactly and i feel yeah. like we're having some kind of podcast meeting on air yeah. right now like the, <laughs> no one needs to hear this we'll, bit. we'll fill in the wars later guys yeah yeah uh so when it, the third reich reaches its zenith in the winter of 1941 uh the firm is a colossus it owns factories mines plants quarries yada 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 in every single occupied country as far north as norway all the way down to North Africa, as far east as Stalingrad, and as far west as the Atlantic Wall. And this is when Alfred um, is kind of running into a problem. You know, the firm, in fact, despite bombings that will happen in then 43 and 44, despite all the collapse of Germany then, uh, will increase production every single month of the war until, like, two months before American f- forces occupy Essen. How? Slaves. Oh, right. Uh, Slaves, yeah. Slaves. That, you know, I would call that move uh, a perfect Aryan. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, Alfred needs more workers. Um, He follows his uh, father's lead um, in petitioning for workers impressed from occupied countries like they did in World War I, only this time the scale is much larger. Uh, by 1943, trainfuls of slaves are arriving from the east daily. Um, at its peak, in probably in late early 45, Alfred has more than a hundred thousand people forced into slavery in the Krupp factories all across the continent. Wow! Um, and this included children as young as six working in the Krupp factories doing stuff. It's a young accountant. Yeah. <laughs> um, a, that's a young HR. <laughs> That's a really young steel uh, alloy engineer. That's 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 like all modern America knows too. You know, Bill Clinton turned this country to be like, "What is work sucks? I gotta go sit at a desk." Yeah, that's all we do. Just sit in cubicles. God. Um, Now, all all the German industrialists were doing this. Um, Some of them are claiming, and even Alfred himself would claim, like, "Oh no, no, no! The Nazis gave us the slaves. We didn't ask for them." We have memoranda and letters and mountains of evidence that prove this is not true. And Alfred in particular was one of the highest agitators for more and more slave labor. Um, In fact, he was so agitating for slave labor that to some Nazis, he was going too far by making Jews work in the factories. Because, you know, Nazi ideology is so fucked up in the head that for some having a forcing Jews to work in factories was worse than just killing them. Cause like, why would you, why would you have a Jew work? That's terrible. They should be dead. They shouldn't be well, working. Right. Well, be, well, because their ideology is that they're like subhuman, right? But like, yeah. why would they be working in a fact? Like, exactly. It's all, it's like it's they're taking just... away from a skilled worker. And then right. another Nazi is like, no, yeah. the skilled workers are doing the hard work. We need them to do the menial work. And then other Nazis are like, no, they should just all be dead. We should. What are we doing here? It, like, it just goes guys. to show you yeah. how stupid these people were. Yeah, and they, then like, on top of all this, they're like trying to like summon Himalayan like Yeti 
devils with their occult, you know. <laughs> See, those, they put all the smart people, they were like, Jews aside, let's find out what's behind those rocks over there. Okay, let's march some in. Let's see what's up. I don't care what you people would do with the Jews. Uh, I, I mean, that's, as Jew, I'd rather pretend I wasn't a Jew and go looking behind rocks for a big film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have that opportunity because they'd look at my, they'd be like, this dick is way too big to not be. That's what they well, would say, which is a handicap also- in, the, in this time. Yeah, and also, I mean, Krups uh, is still around today. They use slave labor. Uh uh, Adidas is still around today. They use slave labor. Yeah, Porsche, BMW, Mercedes, Hugo Boss. Hugo Boss. Hey, look at the new Nazis. Nestle, keeping you Nestle. fat and racist. Yeah. Walmart. Oof. All Guys, right. let's stop being serious. No, let's keep being serious because Alfred is a really bad Nazi. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not only is he one of the like highest agitators for more slaves for his factories, uh, his factories and the concentration camps that were run by the Krupps were known to be some of the most brutal in the entire Third Reich. Um, there was a U.S. attorney uh, who was attending Nuremberg as a not as a witness for the, like prosecute, but like to witness and watch and just kind of observe. And that's this a, is what, that's a really interesting thing to do with your free time. I know. Uh, right? I'm just gonna go to Nuremberg trial. I'm you know? watch the Nuremberg trials, honey. Yeah. Uh, I'll be back in a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is a quote from this U.S. attorney. Quote, Alfred's exploitation of slave labor was worse than that of any other industrialist. Nowhere else was there such sadism, such senseless barbarity, such shocking treatment of people as dehumanized material. Uh, one little anecdote. We don't have to get bogged down in Holocaust, like, terribleness. But I, here's one thing. They had a cage, cages underneath the headquarters that were, like, 24 inches by 24 inches that they would put people who didn't work well into those cages and then dump water over them all day long. And nowhere Ooh. nowhere else in the Third Reich did they do that, just in the Krupp works. <sighs> well, you know, you gotta look at these guns. Look at the quality of the gun. Well, it's interesting <laughs> you bring yeah. up quality, because that's about to take a turn. Because they had Jews doing the work. Like... <laughs> See now, they're not Himmler, they're not, Himmler's attitude has been justified. They're, they're just not crafty, you know. They're smart. Don't get me wrong, but no. So this I'm is joking, it. guys. If come on. At, <laughs> I think it was, uh, you know what I mean. If you look at the Via Hugo logo, it's the three circles. It's just three bagels. Well, <laughs> uh, that's you know the bottom line here. The three look, interlocking bagels. I promise you, I I am not I'm not kidding, guys. I ate at Ben's this weekend. What I'm saying is all forgivable. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> so we're going to talk... The one thing about World War II, like technical, strategical thing I want to talk about, because I'm a military history nerd, is what we're going to talk about right here. You said dip in quality, perfect mm-hmm. transition. Because, like we said in the beginning of the war, the Germans did have a noticeable edge in technology and all of that. That slips by the middle of the war. Um, it's not in ju- entirely because... People have attributed it like, oh, well, they're being bombed and now they're an international pariah, so no one's giving them trading with them. That's why their quality dips. That's not really true. Um, In the Krupp firm specifically, it's for three factors. One, Gustav's sick and ailing, even though he's technically still in charge. um, He's not doing anything. Two, Alfred has so much responsibility that he can't 
um, be involved in like the design anymore the way that the other like Gustav had been before him and Alfred before that. But he also doesn't have that much experience in design anyway. He's probably avoiding that. He actually he was good at it. He was. Yeah. So actually some of the early Panzers were his designs. Um, So he was good at it, but it was just something he wasn't doing because his responsibilities have just grown so much bigger. It's like how Jeff Bezos doesn't buy books for Amazon anymore. Well, he doesn't do anything anymore. He, Wait, he, are you telling me he doesn't buy books for Amazon anymore? No. Oh. No. I, how do you think he's getting so buff? <laughs> he because he's be rushing all, all books. night. He, had a, he did a little a Mary Shelley experiment and went to a, an adult store and picked the perfect blow-up doll to put a brain inside it. <laughs> and now he's pumping, and that's pumping how he's daily. getting so, so cranked. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was the second reason. Um, and then the third is the old Krupp designers, who were still the ones who designed all the great stuff in the early 40s and the late 30s, are still there. And basically, as I was reading it, it seemed like they just got high on their own supply and were like, oh, we're so fucking good, we're going to come up with the weirdest shit you've ever seen. Oh. And so... Yeah. They appled. Yeah, they appled. They adult swimmed. Instead of making, like, three really good, hardy tanks, they had, like dozens and dozens of unique designs so that's why the german like when you look back at german military equipment you're like this is like the panzer 45267 model or like this is like the tiger this one and it's like all these weird technical details and they're really complex and not good they're great on paper and they're maybe great in the test field but they're not good on the eastern front they're also they're not tried and true like you know you can't just take something like throw a ladder on top of it and like shorten the barrel a bit and go this is gonna do it exactly and like the soviets had two tank designs and that was it they had two designs and they would like switch in a couple of different parts for different roles their prerogative i mean they still have two designs you know they still have every way (laughs) there's nothing that they don't have two designs of (laughs) yeah you got Putin and Poutine. <laughs> oh, apparently I was uh, speaking of the Poutine. Um, so in um, I'm going to get one of the words wrong. So in Brazil, they've been doing these memes. They're out of their minds because Brazil has no idea what's actually going on. Like, we don't know what's going on in Ukraine right now. They have less of an idea. They're, they're memeing. They're memeing. I'm going to say that like a beamer. They're beamer. A beamer. Uh <laughs> So Puccino is like to be mad, like someone who's like mad and upset yeah. or has a short fuse, uh-huh. like Puccino. So they do that. They love that. You know, the smiling Puccino. And Puccino. <laughs> and like everyone's, and everyone thinks they're so funny. See all these memes in group chat all day. It's not funny. It's not funny. <laughs> I get out. the joke. Only once, please. Um, so wait, would you do, Connor, do you know if they were the ones that designed, I don't think it was ever built, but the, like, that super mega tank that, yeah, like, like, the uh, thousand ton tank? Yeah, that was Krupp. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah, I've, I've seen, you know, on some YouTubes or something, like, them building it in, like, 3D or something, how big it was supposed to be. Yeah, they were just kind of, they kind of were like, yeah, big, that means good, instead of, like, the Soviets were like, we found the T-34, it fucking rocks, we're gonna build a bajillion of them, and it has, like, seven moving parts. Well, well, they were also, they're also like, if they built this giant-ass tank, like, how easy would it be to blow up? You'd have one, like, squadron of planes come over (laughs) and just, (laughs) you got all seven football fields of tank to hit, or Mm. whatever big it was. I don't know, maybe they could... (laughs) I don't know why I'm trying to <laughs> reverse engineer something on behalf of Nazis right now. <laughs> so let's continue. Yeah. Yeah. So by 1942, um, the Soviets, who had moved all of their heavy industry out of way of the Nazi invasion, that's just like a cool story on its own. They've just like, 
all the Soviet industry was in the Ukraine and Western Russia. And as the war starts, even though the whole army is in disarray, they basically disassembled and moved a thousand factories deep into Siberia. Wow. And then reassembled them, and that's when they started building all the shit they needed. Pretty incredible. Um, and this is when they finally make the T-34, which is the best tank in World War II. Don't let anyone tell you different. Um, and in a weird twist of fate, the Krupps had actually, or the German army had rather, had captured uh, blueprints for the T-34 in 1941. It's so like right at the start of the war with Russia. And they easily just could have started building copies of this amazing tank. And instead they're like, no, the Slavs made that. It's inferior. <laughs> let's make a Zune. Yeah. Let's try. Yeah. Let's see how the Zune would work on let's the market. Let's make a Pontiac Aztec and see how yeah. it works. Uh, did you ever hear that story about how uh, the Russians trained dogs to run underneath the panzers? The dogs were strapped with explosives. Um, and they trained them so they'd see the panzer, right? And then it would run under the panzer and they'd blow the dog up. But the thing was is they trained them on Russian tanks. <laughs> so when they released the dogs, they didn't run to the panzer. They just ran underneath They the would Russian run under tanks. the T-34 instead of the panzer. Yeah. I mean, no one probably better than I. Like, the Russians have zero regard for life as it is. Yeah. So they're probably like, yeah. yeah, well, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. So let's try with cats this time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in 1943, that's the first time ever that the Krupp armament factory is basically arming the German war machine with inferior products. That's wow. the first time this has happened going back all the way to the 1860s. Um, so now not, things are not looking good for Germany in 43. This is when the Battle of Kursk happens. Either, anyone heard of the Battle of Kursk? No, I, I have. Actually. Maybe the most important battle that no one knows about, outside of the Eastern European theater. Um, one historian said that like the Stalingrad was a psychological turning point, but Kursk was the military turning point. Okay. Um, so basically, the way the war had been going is the Germans would have a huge offensive in the summer, the Soviets would kind of push it back in the winter, and then in the summer, the Germans would gain back their what they'd lost, and then kind of ebbed and flowed like that right so now it's the summer of 43 everyone's expecting the big german counterattack that's gonna throw back what the soviets had gained at stalingrad and the showdown is gonna happen in a ukrainian city uh area of kursk or it might be Belarusia, um where's this big salient in the line so like there's this big bulb in the line and so the germans are like here's where our big battle is gonna happen what it becomes is the largest tank battle in world history nothing bigger since Nothing bigger before. 3,000 tanks on each side. It kicks off in early July. And within three weeks, 2,900 German tanks of the initial 3,000 are destroyed. 70,000 men are dead. And another 150,000 are captured or wounded. It was Whoa. a disaster. Damn. Holy shit. The famous line is um, the Soviets cable back to Moscow. The Tigers are burning. And it's basically like, this war is over. This is the sign that the German war machine has collapsed. They have inferior military. They have inferior everything. It's all do, coming down. Do you think they would have cabled back, cabled back like, so this is Sunday, 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 at Kursk, <laughs> the most c -c -c carnage you will ever see, mechanical tanks. Let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> yeah. So that's Kursk. Kursk. Yeah. Hmm. Big old battle. Germans lose. Uh, so, now we're into the end phase of the war for uh, the Germans. 
Gustav um, in 43, this is when he also finally passed over everything to Alfred. They had to make a special law um, that would allow him to pass down the company as an estate wholly. Because this before is before like his death, before right. his death, and also without having to like break it apart, which was like the inheritance laws in Germany. Now, mm. this sounds stupid because, like, why does this matter when it happens in 1943? It's Hitler, that's all going to change in 45. Yeah, that law that was on the books in 43 is the reason that when Alfred, uh, spoiler alert, gets freed from an allied prison camp after the Nuremberg trials, when he's pardoned, we'll Pro- find that project paperclip. That's got to be it. He uh, is allowed to keep all the Krupp holdings and becomes the wealthiest man in Europe by 1954. Well, there you go. Uh, that's oh, uh, right. yeah. So that's Alfred's the Nazis' redemption. Hmm. And but, uh, do you do you think that his lawyers may have been Jewish lawyers? Very good. <laughs> well, let's Maybe. let's go beyond that. Like, imagine that 1980s documentary series, you know, where he's sitting by the pool wearing his Armani sunglasses and going, "It was hard." It was real really, hard. Was real yeah, hard. Right. That, that real was tough. a really, you know, a lot of sleepless nights. Yeah, all my brothers <laughs> died. <laughs> that going on. Uh, so yeah. Gustav is spending this time in the Austrian uh, hunting lodge estate called Blunbach. Um, weird little side story. This is the uh, old hunting lodge of Franz Ferdinand, the guy whose assassination kicked off World War One. After he got assassinated, who buys his estate? Gustav Krupp. And that's where they're spending most of their time. They don't really live at Villa Hugel anymore. Alfred is there because he uses it as his office place. Um, and also in the late, f- in this period of the war, this is when the bombings over Essen are happening almost daily. And Alfred apparently would spend most of it um, standing on his porch, chain smoking camel cigarettes because he had stockpiled camels before the war broke out because he knew that they were going to get. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got to so get that sweet man. Turkish blend, man. Yeah, so yeah. he had stockpiled them, and he would just chain-smoke camels watching the bombs drop on his factories. But Gustav, he's uh, safe off in Austria. Um, he's still somewhat coherent. He has his moments of lucidity. He's able to, like, go to a, a wedding in the family, and everyone everything appears normal. Um, but then he would have days where he can't remember, like, who his secretary is. And or maybe that that could have just been a front. That yeah. could have been a front. Yeah. I don't want to see. You <laughs> could have bitch. been like, it's too warm in here. Yeah. I'm gonna pretend I don't know what's going on. And you <laughs> you bring me bad news too often. Yeah. Uh, in fact, when he did the signing of this like document that gave it all over to Alfred, uh, Alfred and Bertha were really worried that something was going to happen, so they had two guys standing next to him. Um, in like the foyer where they're doing this formal signature. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not Hitler there, but other like high ranking officials are all there. And so Alfred like signs and he's looking at everyone. Then he looks at his father and his father like gives a little like shake of like, Oh, something's wrong. And the two guys next to him just pick him up and carry him to the bathroom. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh shit. Yeah. He's got a pee arm under his yeah. elbows. Like just f- shuffle him Here off. Here we go. Yeah. Now all this, Changes November 25th, 1944. Uh, Bertha sees him working in a garden, which is one of the few activities he liked to do at this time. All of a sudden, he just stands up, looks around, startled, takes off running, trips and like breaks his arm and might have hit his head and got like a small concussion. And so they're in the Alps, there's no hospitals nearby. The chauffeur, they throw him in the back, they're gonna drive him to the nearest hospital. And the chauffeur, reportedly, to like avoid an accident, had to like swerve and slam on the brakes. And Alf, uh, Gustav's in the back, unsecured, and slams forward and hits his head into the metal bar 
uh, on the back of the driver's seat. And when he gets to the hospital, he's in awful shape. He goes. He has another stroke in the hospital, and he is paralyzed for the rest of his life and not coherent at all for the rest now of you his mentioned, life. Now, you mentioned metal bar. Could that perhaps be a steel... <laughs> it was a uh, it was a miniature show cannon. <laughs> okay. right. No, I don't know what it was, but yeah. So that's kind of the end of Gustav's story. Yeah, he's just pudding now. He's pudding. He's gonna stumble on for another six years, just bedridden. It doesn't count. Doesn't really count. Yeah, he's, he's got sauerkraut yeah. brain. So instead, let's just finish up the Krupp story. There's a lot more, but we're gonna speed run this last little bit. Um, in March of 1945, Americans seize bridgeheads over the Rhine. This is the first time foreign troops are entering Germany since Napoleon. Um, Alfred responds by burning all the evidence of the concentration camps he'd built. <laughs> I mean, it's a good start, you know. Doesn't burn all of it. He started too late. He like had sent actually a bunch of the like most secret documents to be hidden in vaults. But the Allied advance was faster than he thought, so all of it got seized before it could get to those vaults. Oh, that's rough. That's yeah. rough paperwork. I don't know why you keep so much paperwork. I know. Well, it's you know? The, the Nazis. Yeah. They love paperwork. Right. DMV. Yeah. Remember that. Yeah. Uh, the Americans enter Essen proper in April, and that is when they enter Via Hugel. And Via Hugel, at this point, is used now as a watchtower for American artillery spotters, because there's like a... Have you ever heard of like the... The weird stuff Germany was doing at the end of the war where, like, the super hardcore Nazis were, like, recruiting people from age, like, 6 to 75 to fight, like, till-the-death efforts. There were, like, yeah. some of these happening in the Alps. There was one happening across the river from Via Hugel, and so the right. Allies were using it as a spotting to, like, shell this area. I know towards the end of the war, too, uh, with the Luftwaffe, they were kind of doing what Japan was doing all along, where they were like, we'll teach you how to tet this off the ground, but you don't need to worry about landing. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't worry about landing. Just park it right in there. Yeah. And uh, you'll know you did it right if yeah. you're in heaven. Uh, so the Americans <laughs> <Nazi> liberate... heaven. <laughs> they liberate all the slaves that were in Essen. And again, these were like... They had built huge concentration camps around the city for all the uh, slaves there. Mm. Um, there was one in particular that was the most heinous. We won't go into detail, but it was a specially built concentration camp for the babies that were born in the other concentration camps. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And why would they even move? Like, I don't know. Like, come Nazis. on. Really? Like, you why would you why, even you move even the baby? Like, like, you're already, you're just already killing these people. Come on. Just spike them. They're just, spike them over the they're wall. They're just real evil people. Um, so when the Americans free it, they kind of start to, uh, exact a bit of a revenge. Um, they're stealing from civilians. They're, uh, they're forcing Krupp workers to like tour the concentration camps. Um, whenever they try to like cover their nose from the smell, an allied soldier would like punch them in the face and like pull their arms down. So, you know, good shit by the allies. Um, on April 11th, Alfred is arrested by American soldiers, and for the next three to four, or for the next three years, he was just kind of awaiting trial and on trial in Nuremberg. There was a special Krupp trial um, where it was all the industrialists being prosecuted. And before he's sentenced or convicted, Gustav finally mercifully dies January 16th, 1950. Again, he'd not been lucid at all for six years and was barely coherent for, like, the three years before that. Okay. Well, you don't think that he, like, Hitlered himself. No. <laughs> An interesting thing about him, though, is, so, obviously, when the war broke out in 39, he's still perfectly fine, lucid, and leading the company. 
And because of the war, no one really knows the inner workings of Germany too well. They're not broadcasting it. There's not press coming out. So as the Allies are pushing through in Europe, they're like, where the fuck is Gustav? We got to find Gustav Krupp. <laughs> Meanwhile, he'd been like an invalid, bedridden guy for the last two years of the war. So they were hunting him, and he was wanted for war crimes, but they never. They, once they found him, they're like, oh. Look him. at him. Look at <laughs> how sad this guy is. Yeah. He's got stacks yeah. of pornographies. He's got Yoohoo. <laughs> yeah. And Sick <laughs> man. They didn't even have He's, Alfred on a list, so that kind of shows they're like, oh, I guess this is the guy that we really want. Smart. Yeah. Um, so Alfred is finally sentenced uh, to 12 years uh, for his crimes against humanity and war crimes. He would spend a year in prison before the American High Commissioner for Germany, a guy named John McCoy, would pardon him, and not just pardon him, but restore all of the property that had been confiscated by the Allies following the occupation of Essen. See, this is, you know, the shady Irish. They do this. All of it. McCoy? (laughs) Yeah, more like my Nazi boy. I wish I read more Uh, about this part because... The McCoy guy is like, when I read it, I was like, oh, he must be a Nazi sympathizer. And then you look, he's like, he well, he integrated the U.S. Army. And then he also did this. <laughs> who, who the fuck is this guy? I think mm-hmm. he was probably just trying to give everyone a fair chance. So it was a, Which is always a mistake. Yeah, it was yeah. a mix of like, I think Paperclip obviously wasn't technically part of Operation Paperclip. But that idea was yeah. playing a role. And also like, we want a strong Western Germany to face the communists because he's also pardoned right as like the Korean war hits its like high, like when it's really bad in Korea. So they're kind of like, we just need to stop the communists. That was somehow. very, that was like a common thought. I, you know, watching Patton that, and like the last days of Patton starring, yeah. um, George C. Scott Patton was big on that too. Like he was, like when the war with Germany was done, he was ready to forgive them and ally them so they had a front against the Russians. Yeah, Patton wanted us to just keep marching. Yeah. He was like, no, 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 don't turn the tanks off. Just keep going to Moscow. Yeah. And Eisenhower was like, uh, I don't know. It's like, it's complicated stuff. Everyone's kind of in the wrong all the time anyway. You know, what are you going to do? I mean, this is the common trend of America. We're just. We just let other people that we don't know, that we don't know enough about, just arm them or let them off the hook because the evil Russians or the evil, you know, whatever, whatever enemy of the week is. Yeah, I'm not saying that they're not evil, but I would say that maybe why are we caring so much? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Now, before we leave the Krups, I just want to tie a nice little ribbon on this story because we've been with them all the way back since... uh, since the first Krupp stumbled into us in the 1600s. So Alfred, like I said before, he's going to become the wealthiest man in the uh, in the common market, what it was before the EU. Um, he will die in 1967, I think, from lung cancer. <clears throat> but I want to mention his son, because, like we said, Krupp's fir- uh, firm's still around, but it's not run by any Krupps. Right. Because when Alfred died, he stipulated that the foundation that he had set up was going to become like the sole proprietor and running the corporation. Because okay. Arndt von Bullen und Halbach, he was not going to take over his father's legacy. Uh, audio listeners, we're going to include this one. We have to include this picture in the artwork because it's just too perfect. This is the only picture of Arndt on his Wikipedia page. Ah. <laughs> uh. He looks like uh, Jude Law getting a blowjob. He does look like Jude Law in the middle of a blowjob. Trav? 
Oh, you holding it up? I'm those. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> and I want to I want to read a couple of select entries from his Wikipedia page. Um <laughs> this is from the marriage and later life section. Uh despite being notoriously homosexual like his great-grandfather Fritz Krupp, uh he married Princess Henriette von Ausberg uh in February of 1969. They had no children. Uh well, <laughs> you know. He died at uh, the age of 48. Uh, in 1986 from jaw cancer and he had been an alcoholic for a long time deeply in debt so clearly the money was had dried up and then this is also in that same section of his wikipedia article in his book life keith richards stated that arndt was a regular party companion in marrakesh <laughs> and arndt also has a section of his wikipedia that just says quotations it's one quotation and this is what it says that's the last thing I need, end quote, when asked if he ever thought of working. <laughs> well, what a guy. <laughs> so we go from Alfred, who wanted to sleep on the factory floor, to Arndt, who wanted a party in Marrakesh with Keith Richards. Well, apparently, uh, homosexuality is genetic. Because all these people are gay. In one way or another. <laughs> Somehow. I mean, even, Either obsessed with big cannons or polishing cannons. Let me ask you something. Let's go back to Bertha for a second. Uh, did we, is she dead? What happened? She dies. She's probably, uh, was she 170 now? (laughs) She's 184 (laughs) years old. Uh, still the wealthiest woman in Germany. Cool. I know. She dies in 1957. Um, kind of just like floated on the rest of her life. Uh, not really much known. She's just kind of like, huh. Yeah. She wasn't, well, she wasn't like convicted during the trials or anything. Again, even though she was the one who had all of the money and the wealth, so technically in that ceremony where they're signing over all the stuff to Alfred, it was really just Bertha signing off for her stuff instead of giving it to her husband to give to her son. That's okay. it was gotcha. more so that than anything that Gustav was doing because he didn't own anything. Yeah, right. and he was also dumb, dumb in the brain, and like, <laughs> who, who was it? The Kaiser? He was the one putting them together, right? Yeah, Wilhelm. Yeah, so Wilhelm's yeah. like, eh, you guys are... Yeah, Wilhelm... I mean, you're pro- Gustav, you're probably gay, like I mentioned. <laughs> so you pr- you're going to need a wife. <laughs> yeah. To pretend. Wilhelm to. was living in the Netherlands during the interwar period, because he was just exiled. He just like yeah. abdicated and was exiled. But Gustav, nice. cons- Gustav still wrote him letters all the time. Mm. Dear Kaiser. <laughs> Dear my Kaiser. The Führer is mean <laughs> to me, unlike you. <laughs> He's a gutter snake. <laughs> my wife hates him. He's always thinking about the beans. <laughs> I, I hope that comes out eventually, that we find out Hitler was obsessed with beans. Oh, no, it did, no, that's a thing. You didn't know about that? Really? Yeah. I know he was a vegetarian, but I didn't no. know he was obsessed with beans. Huge part of his diet was beans, and uh, he he was known for his uh, farting. He was a farting man. This is not, I'm not making this up at all. Um, as a relatively gassy guy myself, too. Like, I Same. get, you know. Yavol, it's, it's good for you. Yeah. He was he, big on vegetarianism, hated smoking. Um, and Didn't I think drink. that the guy, the doctor who like ended up injecting all that meth into him, he was brought in to get rid of his gas. <laughs> like that was the initial starting, oh, hello, doctor. But Germany is a wild place. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, we spent a lot of time there in these last few weeks. Yeah, I'm ready to, I'm ready to leave. Yeah. I'm ready, ready to, truly ready to get out of there. I'm ready to not constantly be having crups on the mind yeah it's been, been in my head for about a month and a half now 
You read a 1,500-page book for this, right? I read two-thirds of a 1,500-page book. I could read more to find more about how Alfred became the richest man in the common market. And apparently Arndt waived his inheritance because he just didn't want to fucking work. That's fucking dumb as hell. Well, I think he sold the money, but he was just like, I don't want to be the fucking crup. I don't want to be the leader. Right. So he's like, I only have my allowance of a billion a year. Remember, Arndt's mom was the divorcee that Alfred had married and then had to divorce because she was the family shame. So I think Arndt hated the Krupps, is my guess. Okay. I, I, yeah, I could okay. buy that. You know, mom's talking shit, being all divisive. Yeah. I get it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, either yeah, way. Yeah, Connor, thank you for this epic that you've brought in. I know. In, epic of a family that you've brought in. It felt like everyone should know about the Krupps. Yeah. A lot Absolutely. of perspectives yeah. here. I learned a lot of things about the war times, the war I learned efforts. a lot about Germany. Yeah. Yeah, a lot about Germany and a lot about the world. I mean, the Chrysler building. I feel like we learned a lot about each other, too. You know? We did. Yeah. We certainly did. Um, If you want to learn more about us, go to patreon.com slash roastmortemcast. We recently changed all of the tiers and everything on there. Go read the statement on there. Um, It's very simple now. We, we don't offer much except for the best show you've ever heard. So I don't know. Is it worth supporting us? Yeah, it is. If you've been listening to us for this long and aren't, then I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but go read the statement, seriously. Uh, we're, we've changed a lot of things. And um, I, I'm happy to do the show upon reflecting, you know? Yeah. It's been good. Yeah. It's been so, zen. G- glad we can share zen. it with, with y'all. Um. Travis, do you have any parting words? You being the closest to a Nazi here, do you have any apologies? What do you mean I'm closest closest to a Nazi? What guy like that? I don't know, dude. Like I've been growing my hair out, and I'm thinking a lot about your hair, and it's like kind of Hitler youthy, and I don't know. But do you have anything to say? An apology to me or to anyone else? <laughs> I'm gonna say, guess what? Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you. Have a cra- crupsy week <laughs> have a cruppy week <laughs> have a cruppy week everyone yep thank you shane <laughs> thank you shane <laughs>